We are Broken Shed Vodka, made in New Zealand, where it's tomorrow. Crisp mountain mineral water, smooth spring water, and sustainable way. Learn more about the vodka of tomorrow at brokenshed.com. Broken Shed Vodka, 40% ABV, distilled from whey. Imported to the USA by Broken Shed Imports, Manhasset, New York. Broken Shed Vodka is produced by Broken Shed Limited, Wanaka, New Zealand. Drink responsibly. Amazon Business honors Ricardo Gurgel, owner of Veggie Root Tavern. This week, Ricardo saved big and used Amazon Business to help his team buy commercial deep fryers at a quantity discount. Because even veggies can be fried. I'm going to need two orders of fried fiddleheads. With business buying easier than before, Ricardo now uses his extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Mmm, fiddleheads. Yum. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's the mon- uh, Tuesday, the 16th of August, year of our Lord, 2022. Day 885 of the emergency. Today we're going to take a look quickly at uh, World War III, how it is spiraling out of control. And there's a war that's right across the border as well. The Mexican narco state is in something of a state of civil war as well. And the Moderna vaccine empire can't get rid of these vaccines. So now Moderna is going to mo-dump them, and uh, they're doing them by the millions, by the millions. But it's too early for us to celebrate yet because the empire is going to be striking back. We'll also take a look at the Trump rate. Lawsuits and subpoenas and criminal action abound. Finally, we'll take a look at aborting the family and the philosophies that have taken over our lives. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Well, there appears to be no end to the amount of money that is going to be spent by our government. Uh, and of course, you know, 90,000 IRS agents isn't going to uh, uh, help any. That's just a war against us. But our government is at war with everybody and everything, isn't it? So another $5.5 billion new budgetary military aid, uh, $4.5 billion in budgetary aid going to the Ukrainian government meant to pay for pensions, health care costs, and social welfare. They're now dependent of ours. And uh, I don't know if these people are going to get it or if it's going to go into Zelensky's pocket. But it'll be sent in uh, tranches with the first $3 billion being sent in August through the World Bank, the usual suspects united in this operation, NATO, the World Bank, the EU. A billion dollars in military aid is the single largest arms package the U.S. has pledged since Russia invaded. Of course, uh, not since the war began because the war began Eight years ago, when the Democrats, uh, the first uh, Obama administration, 
roll that coup through there. So as the economy is burning, the political class is patting themselves on the back for provoking World War III. That headline says it all from Free Thought Project. Utterly mind-blowing that the same people who claim that they can defend Taiwan from China in a nuclear standoff are the same people who can't keep China from buying up massive amounts of farmland and residential property in the United States. Well, the problem with that is that they don't even want to do that. They are at war. Again, with the American people, they want to take away even our food, as well as our fuel and everything else. Uh, these same people claim that they can protect a country 7,000 miles away, yet they are completely unable to protect this country. No, not unable. They are unwilling, and we'll talk about that in a moment, with what is happening with the Mexican narco state. Not even on the radar of mainstream media, and certainly not on the radar of the Biden administration. Uh, you do have a lot of whining and wailing and demands for National Guard troops and protection from the mayor of Washington, D.C. and the mayor of New York City, where uh, just a few, just a few, maybe one in a thousand of these people are being sent from Texas and Arizona. Uh, but uh, if you want to know some of the stuff that is going to be coming to the battlefield, how it is being reshaped, right now. Uh, the early stages of autonomous killer robots are apparent. I showed you last week that um, the Chinese government has got its own uh, robotic dog. Uh, this is not for your post-apocalyptic pal. This is not to help little old ladies cross the street. It never was. All these dancing Boston dynamic robots that came out years ago have now been copied designed and uh, reverse engineered by the uh, Chinese and the Russians. And we know that it was part of DARPA as well. It's always set up to be a weapon. And now we have uh, video footage of this uh, Russian robot dog at a Russian army expo. Look at it crouched down there. It even got like uh, two eyes there. Looks like a ninja robot, the way they got the mask over. You only see the eyes. And it's got an RPG on his back, just uh, so you get the idea that this is not about helping little old ladies cross the street. Uh, but he can uh, work his way through the different obstacles. No, don't touch it. Don't pet me. <laughs> I got an RPG on my back. Uh, it's capable of conducting both military and civilian tasks, according to its creators. It, then uh, RT laughingly says, <laughs> well, they're not trying to be funny, but they are funny. It's heavily inspired by the principles of bionics that have been observed in the animal world. They just ripped it off from Boston Dynamics. Okay, we don't see anything like that in the animal world. Uh, but you do see it in Boston Dynamics, funded by DARPA. And now uh, that technology is being used by everybody. It'll be used to have autonomous killing machines, and they're getting more and more advanced all the time. Four legs, two legs, doesn't matter. Um, they're going to be coming after you on the animal farm. Over 5 billion would die of starvation in a nuclear war, says RT. You, you see these stories about nuclear war uh, from RT, but um, all you see from American press is that we need to press ahead. We need more money, more weapons, no limits to anything, no talks about pulling anything back. None whatsoever. It's full speed ahead. The Russians understand it. The American public does not understand it. Over 5 billion people would die of starvation in a nuclear war. 
I wonder, you know, how many people will go out on the first wave of it, but um, over 5 billion people could starve to death as ash and soot from burning cities entered the atmosphere and blocked out sunlight, according to a study published in the journal Nature Food. Uh, so I guess when we look at climate change, we can say, yeah, it does look like man-made climate change is coming, and we may have less than 12 years. <laughs> so that's something for you to freak out about, Greta. Freak out about this. A sudden man-made global warming spike, followed by a long-term man-made global cooling. There you go. They finally get their wish. Climate change with both of these things happening. You know, first uh, massive uh, thermal input, man-made, and then as the cooling effect from the ash from nuclear exchange gets into the atmosphere, we know that this is what would happen. This is not a projection. It's not even a model. This is based on observations that we've seen in the past. Uh, Krakatoa, east of Java, created a little mini ice age for a couple of years. It released so much volcanic ash up into the atmosphere where it stayed for quite some time uh, before it finally precipitated out. Uh, the cooling effect from a nuclear war would be created uh, as the ash enters the atmosphere. It would peak within a year or two, but the reduction in temperature would last for over a decade and would also involve reduced precipitation. So cold as well as less rain. Uh, the weather, model's weather patterns show wind driving clouds of smoke and ash into the sky above major food producers such as the U.S., China, Germany, UK, ultimately resulting in a decline of 90% of the world's food supply. I mean, they're not even talking about the initial explosions, radiation poisoning, and the rest of this. This is just the effects of weather. If we care about weather, if weather and climate are so important, why is peace so unimportant to these people? And of course, they don't care. It's, it's whatever MacGuffin they can use at a given time to do depopulation, and to divest us of everything that we have. So they take everything from us, and this is one way to do it. It's not just Krakatoa, east of Java. It was also Mount Tambora in 1815, Iceland's Laki in 1783. Both of them resulted in famines as well as political upheavals because that is what happens when you have famines. And then we don't even need to project what will happen with a nuclear war. Because even if they just do economic war with the sanctions, uh, that is having massive effects on our food and fuel. Because they take away the fuel. The fuel is used to grow the food, to transport the food, to create the fertilizer for the food. And if that weren't enough, they're taking the fertilizer on directly in this nitrogen MacGuffin being pushed by the World Economic Forum through people like Ruta and the Netherlands, uh, Trudeau in uh, Canada, uh, Sri Lanka was the first one to uh, engage in that insanity. Uh, but there apparently is uh, no reasoning with any of the people. Isn't this amazing? This is just like the COVID MacGuffin. Every country, every political party, every politician, it doesn't matter what their professed ideology is or their political party, every single one of them marching in lockstep. You know, that was the one of the scenarios that the Rockefeller Center uh, Foundation had about uh, 10 years ago when they were looking at what would happen with a pandemic, and that was the worst-case scenario. 
the most authoritarian scenario, the one where the population was the most passive. And yet the lockstep aspect is something that you see with all of these different government leaders in every single country. And when they all march in lockstep, the real word for that is conspiracy. Uh, we're going to uh, take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at the Mexican narco state. Stay with us. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Amazon Business honors Ricardo Gurgel, owner of Veggie Root Tavern. This week, Ricardo saved big and used Amazon Business to help his team buy commercial deep fryers at a quantity discount. Because even veggies can be fried. I'm going to need two orders of fried fiddleheads. With business buying easier than before, Ricardo now uses his extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Mmm, fiddleheads. Yum. Be right back. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. Hear news now at APSRadioNews.com or get the APS Radio app and never miss another story. All right, and I got a couple of tips here. Uh, Lewis Tart, uh, thank you for the tip. He says, uh, thanks for the outline. Uh, I guess that is uh, when I, what I kind of gave you an overview of where we're going to be going. And again, we're going to go into the, uh, what's happening with the Mexican narco state next. Uh, but also we have a, a tip from uh, Gerald Smith. Thank you very much, Gerald. Uh, where is my David Knight Christy Nome 2024 bumper sticker? Well, we're working on the other bumper stickers, the ones without Christy Nome. In it. <laughs> he said, just kidding. We need you as a journalist, uh, but it's fun to dream. Well, thank you. You know, when you talk about it, that, and let me just put this in since you brought that up. Um, before I get into the Mexican narco state, uh, we, <laughs> we could talk about the U.S. political state. Uh, and it is a, a state of uh, confusion, and people don't really understand what's going on with the electoral system. They're focused on the back end of a system that is already completely corrupted by the time you get to the 
final election anyway. But um, this was an interesting back and forth uh, with Andrew Yang, who was trying to start a third party. Listen to this. On both sides. But you're going to have to come up with policy really positions. really negative results. Right. We but Andrew, need a better system. That's yeah, a but Andrew, you're going to have to have policy uh, positions at some point. How does the forward party feel about Roe versus Wade? Should it have been overturned? Well, I personally uh, think that women's reproductive rights are fundamental human rights. But the forward party has uh, not left or right, but forward stance on even the most divisive and contentious issues. Well, what does that mean? Don't you have to take a position on something? View Don't you have to take a position of... on something? <laughs> yeah, you can't I think just you say, well, well, you know, well, maybe not. Huh? An issue, so I'm not going to take a position on you. <laughs> you know, if you want to run the country, you're going to have to make some hard decisions, Andrew. Uh, again, the forward party is about that common sense consensus majority view, which is very clear on abortion. It's clear. What about on guns? What guns. about it's assault clear weapons? On climate change. It's actually clear on just about every issue under the sun. Should 18 year olds be able to buy AR 15s? Because of the nature of our system. Should 18 year olds be able to buy AR 15s? Again, the <laughs> common sense consensus majority is that there should be some. Uh, rules around background checks and access to, to firearms. But we're not getting any of these things, Jim, because the two-party system does not need to deliver. But it doesn't sound like you're taking any hard positions. It sounds like you're trade power. It sounds like you're you're sort of a fill-in-the-blank party. You're, you know, if, if somebody uh, wants a, a, a party with no clear policy positions, you're it. But unfortunately, in the real world, we've already got in the two real of those. World, you have to take a position on something. <laughs> Well, well, we're for the common sense consensus. <laughs> we're for the common sense consensus. Now, we need to make common sense common again, right? Uh, and uh, make sense common again. Anyway, the uh, this is a guy who, in his last run, you know, he was all about universal basic income. And uh, I mean, they mean basic. They mean poverty level income. But don't worry. You, know, you don't have to work. You can just... Uh, uh, relax and drop out and hang out in the metaverse on VR. It doesn't matter. And they'll take care of you. you know, massive communist welfare state that he was pushing. Uh, Elon Musk loved that. Gave the guy millions of dollars. He also wanted to do some, no he had some novel ideas. He wanted to have the federal government uh, do zoning and micromanagement of what's going on with housing and other things like that. It was a, a nightmare when you look at any of his policy proposals. But again, he's now playing the game. I've got a political party here, and um, I don't really have to take a position on some of these issues. But you notice that Jim Acosta is just hitting him with the usual uh, you know, totems of the left. Well, what about abortion? What about gun control? What about this? What about that? Well, what about peace? Uh, you know, what about us really having control over our bodies, Jim? What about us being able to decide whether or not we want to take an experimental injection? Genetic code injection. How about that? Should we talk about those types of issues or are you just going to continue on gun control, abortion, all of the usual uh, wedge issues that the left and right have? And he's very upset because uh, Andrew Yang doesn't want to get involved in those issues. Uh, Andrew Yang doesn't have a clue, frankly. Um, he's got Marxist progressive leanings and he, uh, he, he wouldn't come on my show. Uh, I wouldn't have been as as uh, hard on him with uh, these other issues that he doesn't want to talk about. I wanted to talk to him about universal basic income, and I would have been very, very skeptical about that. I would have been uh, hard on him about that. He accepted, and then he uh, canceled at the last minute because he figured out where I was coming from on universal basic income. 
But um, anyway, the, um, the, the real issues are not discussed. The bigger issues, uh, the, um, uh, the Great Reset issues. And yet he doesn't even understand when it comes to the election what the bigger issues are that are destroying the election system, and that is ballot access. And he's about to find out about that if he's really sincere about this. This just may be a fundraising gig that he's doing. You know, send me your money. He got so much money from Elon Musk and other people. I guess he kind of liked that. Let's see. How can we spin that this election cycle? You know, oh, we'll create a new political party. Well, good luck with that. Uh, good luck with getting on the ballot once you, once he starts looking at that, if he really gets serious about it, then he's going to be really upset when he sees how rigged the system is. And then if he gets on the ballot, he'll find out how rigged it is in the debates. But let's talk about the Mexican narco state. Whole cities are under siege by the narcos in Mexico. I mean, this is kind of a civil war. This has been going on for quite some time, and it flares up from time to time. Right now, they've got a big eruption. Over the past four days, multiple Mexican cities have faced an onslaught of attacks from drug cartel militias. They like to call them militias, you notice. Nah, uh, they're not militias. Uh, they're drug cartels, but they like to demonize the militia, which is a legitimate function. That is uh, all of the male members of society between 16 and 60 who are physically able to carry a gun and defend their country. Uh, but uh, let's just you know, drag that term into the mud with the drug cartel. Anyway, the drug cartels, it shows the government's continued inability to stop criminal groups from causing chaos in some of the country's largest cities. I don't know how that works because, you know, they do have gun control in Mexico, don't they? How in the world do you? I mean, you got pictures of these guys that look like Afghanistan or something. They got a uh, machine gun. Look at that. Uh, they got machine guns, belt fed, on, mounted on uh, some kind of a vehicle. I can't really see what the vehicle is. How does that happen? Well, I mean, that might be uh, actually Mexican troops. It's hard to tell uh, because the cartel people are just as well equipped as the Mexican National Guard. But uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. As a matter of fact, you know, we had a big operation. There was a U.N. treaty, the U.N. arms trade treaty. So we got to stop all these guns flowing into Mexico from the United States. That was what it was really about. It wasn't about any other place. It was really about the U.S. And so that's why you had both the George W. Bush administration and the Obama administration set up with the BATF, the Gunwalker program that eventually blew up in their face when you had a federal agent that was killed in it. And, um, but it was uh, a bipartisan effort. And the bipartisan effort, the purpose of the effort was to uh, set up a, um, an illegal operation uh, a false flag, that's what the New York Times called it, against the Second Amendment to say, well, look at this stuff is, is being um, uh, sold into Mexico when it was really our own government doing that. They wanted to get caught so they could say, well, we have to do something to stop this traffic. And we just happened to have the thing right here in my back pocket. It's called the UN Arms Trade Treaty, and it's going to stop the flow of small arms by registering and tracking and imprinting and identifying every single gun and piece of ammunition in the United States. That was going to be their justification for full-on gun control. 
Uh, I covered that early part of 2012 up in uh, New York. Took the family up there. We did some um, some videos and uh, filmed interviews and stuff for uh, people that National Association of Gun Rights was doing. So I was doing some work uh, for them. Uh, it's a good organization, by the way. Uh, they're a good organization. Gun Owners of America, good organizations. I highly recommend both of them. And um, I have reservations about the NRA, but, you know, um, <laughs> still, there's uh, uh, the whole thing was set up. The whole thing was set up. And uh, then it blew up in their face with the death of that agent. And lo and behold, just a couple of days before this event was to happen in New York, in the UN, they had that Aurora, Colorado shooting to revitalize uh, what had blown up in their face. Yeah, we got to have more gun control. Anyway, uh, 16 people were arrested during the attacks without providing their identities. But the people arrested are supposed to be influential people because that's why there was such a strong reaction, they said. Uh, going back to October 2019, as they recall, you had the son of El Chapo, uh, the uh, younger Guzman, uh, after they had locked up El Chapo, uh, the uh, boss of the Sinaloa cartel. You know, the Sinaloa cartel, <laughs> you want to talk about the real cartels? Let's talk about the bankers. HSBC, convicted multiple times of laundering money for drug cartels and for terrorist organizations. After the first time, they uh, were given uh, a very small fine uh, by their terms, only a one, you know, billion or two dollars. That's nothing compared to the amount of money that they were making. And uh, then they said that they would uh, do what they could to police it better. So they set up a program to look for certain people, certain places, and the rest of this stuff. And um, uh, Everett Stern was the guy who was hired by them. I interviewed him. He was a whistleblower. And he, most of the guy, everybody that they hired had no law enforcement experience whatsoever. They were all newbies. Uh, they paid them really well. Didn't have much for them to do. Just going to keep you there as window dressing, except Everett kind of got interested in what it was. and. Uh, he found out that they had put in their database so they wouldn't get a match. They had inserted spaces or periods or things like that in some of the names so they wouldn't come up with an exact match and other things that were happening. Uh, they were also, at the time, HSBC had set up for uh, El Chapo, Wahim Guzman. Uh, they had set up for the Sinaloa cartel their own cash window that was reserved just for them, nobody else, because they had so much cash that needed it had to be counted, you know. They don't want to have everybody standing in line. They might start asking questions. Why are we waiting so long in time in, in line? Well, it's because they got about five or six million dollars here that and small bills that they got to count. <laughs> so maybe you come back tomorrow. So it was starting to become a problem, I guess, in the branch banks. So they had them go to one particular bank where they had their own checkout window. But you know, when all this stuff happened, they when they charged uh, Guzman. They took everything he had right up front, civil asset forfeiture. They never did that to HSBC. <laughs> the big banks that are financing all of this stuff, they never suffer anything from uh, civil asset forfeiture. So um, the, uh, Mex the Mexican authorities had detained Guzman's son. And so the Sinaloa Cartel Associates laid siege to the city back in October of 2019 to pressure the government to release him. Uh, they did. 
They allowed him to escape. And um, Lopez Obrador later admitted that he gave the order to release Guzman to stop the attacks throughout the city. So it's an appeasement thing, right? And these acts are pressure tactics that have worked for the cartels to pressure the government's it is nothing new, said a prominent Mexican security analyst. Uh, and I just have to say that uh, these types of things are coming here. They're coming here. They'll be developed here. Uh, all These are all the fruits of an insane, failed prohibition policy. I was, I've got a couple of articles here about how, uh, that I'll get to in a minute, about how popular... Uh, mushrooms and hallucinogenic drugs are becoming with the wealthy. Uh, they're not having all of their stuff confiscated, just like uh, HSBC didn't. But you know, if you're poor, you're in the inner city, you're black, or something, they're going to grab your marijuana and send you to jail for life thanks to the laws that were put in by Biden. It's a spiritual thing. And it really is a spiritual thing with these hallucinogenics. And these people are looking for something to fill a void in their life. They're depressed or they've got other issues. And it's not a law enforcement issue. When you make it a law enforcement issue, as many law enforcement officers have said, what you do is you corrupt law enforcement, you corrupt the courts, you destroy the rule of law, you create these very, very powerful gangs. And they're not shooting each other in the street right now uh, here in America. And it may be because we perhaps have a government that's even more corrupt than the Mexican government. You know, they're not standing up to them. They're partnering with them. So uh, on Thursday, several men entered the main prison on the border city of Juarez, and they posed as a visiting family of an inmate. They killed three other inmates. This is the way when you create a black market, like we did with alcohol prohibition, you have the, the competitors shoot it out with each other on the streets. That's what they did in Chicago in the 1920s and so forth. Uh, and that's what they're doing in Mexico now. Uh, that's the way they compete. Uh, so in the immediate aftermath, all hell broke loose around Juarez, which is only just a few miles from El Paso, right, you know, right there. It's kind of a contiguous city, really. Firefights took place at various places throughout Juarez. At least 10 people were killed during the attacks, including a pregnant woman who was burned alive in a convenience store. How horrific this is. Just innocent bystanders caught up in this stuff. And four staff members of a local radio station. Authorities reported four convenience stores set on fire and at least one gas station. So the Mexican National Guard has been deployed to Tijuana. And um, you know when that happens, right? Uh, they've sent in 350 National Guard troops People notice when you send in 300 troops. That's why when Steve Pachenik was saying that two days after the election that it was a sting and Trump had already sent out 20,000 troops around the country, there was absolutely no way that that was true. You knew that right then. Uh, anybody, but it's amazing to me how that lie went around the world multiple times <laughs> and how it just kept getting recycled by Alex and Infowars and Steve Pachenik. It was beyond belief. And that was just the uh, troop portion of it. Within a couple of days, it was obvious that that was a lie. It was obvious that it was a lie right then because you would have known if they'd sent uh, hundreds of troops somewhere, uh, let alone 20,000. 
Anyway, they were emergency deployed to the region on Saturday as cartels hijacked and burned vehicles and left the border city of Tijuana in utter chaos. Uh, so the uh, one of the rival gangs that is there now is the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. And uh, they threatened violence to anybody in Baja, California over the weekend. They said, be warned, as of Friday uh, through Sunday, we are going to create mass chaos. So the expletive government frees our people. We're the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. And we don't want to hurt good people, but it's best they don't go outside. We're going to attack anyone we see on the streets these days. Well, that's the way it's going. So they've put out advisories to American personnel. And uh, masked gunmen are blocking the streets in Tijuana, burning buses, uh, burning convenience stations, uh, convenience stores with uh, pregnant women inside. Arizona has had enough of this chaos. Not Biden, though. Biden doesn't care, you see. I mean, it's Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Uh, Stop the oil. Stop all the food production. Stop the fuel. That's his concern. I mean, we talk about this being a dumpster fire. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Trump started the dumpster fire, and he's, uh, Biden is pouring our fuel on it. Well, Arizona's had enough. The state has started stacking shipping containers and border wall gaps. They've ordered 60 double-stacked shipping containers to be placed in border fence gaps near Yuma, Arizona. The Arizona governor has, Doug Ducey. And uh, that is the busiest crossing area. There are areas where there is a partial fence, and so what they're trying to do is plug the gap with double-stacked shipping containers. It's expected to cost $6 million. I mean, that's a bargain when you consider uh, how expensive the wall was. The wall was ridiculously expensive. <clears throat> the, um, they expect to complete a 1,000-foot gap for only $6 million. This is bargain basement stuff for government work. Uh, during fiscal year 2022, less than, and we're, Still have three more months to go with it. Border agents have arrested more than 162,700 illegal crossers. But, of course, they just release them. Just catch and release. They catch them, tally it up, and then release them. So you need to stop them coming in. There are many ways that you can interdict that. Uh, The wall is not really going to work. It may slow some of it down. But it is quite a bit cheaper And it's even cheaper than halting the construction because there's already some contractual obligations in this. Biden halted construction as he took office. And now the Biden administration has spent between $618 million and $708 million on contractors. will ultimately spend up to $1.2 billion to exit the border wall project contracts. Now think about that. They could finish this up for just a couple of million. But instead, they will spend nearly a thousand times more to not do it, to not fill in the gap. Uh, This is a deliberate plan to take down our country. 700 migrants crossing in just five hours at one Texas border town, according to Breitbart, who uh, set up a stakeout and, and watched as you had large and small groups of people arriving and surrendering to the Texas Army National Guard or to the highway patrol troopers, or to the border patrol agents in and around the small Texas border town of Eagle Pass on Sunday. Uh, They come across the Rio Grande in smaller groups and then immediately surrender 
to the uh, Texas Army National Guard soldiers, and it's a catch and release again. Why do they do it? Why, if they know they're going to be captured, they know they're going to be released. Or maybe they'll be sent to Washington, D.C. or to New York City. And now we have the Washington, D.C. mayor, Muriel Bowser, uh, is now uh, <laughs> trying to deal with the surge of illegal immigrants in the nation's capital. And uh, she is demanding that she get some National Guard help. I need help for at least 90 days. The Guard is uniquely resourced to provide emergency logistical support, she said. And uh, this is happening because uh, Abbott and Ducey, and, uh, governors of Texas and Arizona, respectively, are putting migrants on bus and sending buses and sending a small, small fraction of them to Washington, D.C. and to New York City. Uh, she calls it a humanitarian crisis. Well, uh, what do you think, lady, when you get, instead of 100, you get 100,000 or 200,000 people coming into these very small, uh, par- uh, sparsely populated areas? I mean, it really is overwhelming them. These border areas uh, are basically empty. If there's any towns at all, they're very, very small towns. They're nothing like Washington, D.C. or New York City. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what is going on with the the dumping of vaccines. Stay with us. We will be right Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 323232 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 323232 now text grade to 323232 back To the David Knight Show. Looking for better information? APSRadioNews.com features articles and commentary, along with audio from all the top news from around the world. APSRadioNews.com. 
An analysis of the plans provided by Princess Leah has demonstrated a weakness in the battle station. The approach will not be easy. You're required to maneuver straight down this trench and skim the surface to this point. The target area is only two meters wide. It's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. Anonymous sources are alleging that among the documents confiscated from Trump's residence were top secret plans to the White House. These plans are said to reveal the building's only weakness, a thermal exhaust port only two meters wide. It's impossible to overstate just how close we came to losing our fully armed and operational Washington, D.C., said FBI Director Ray. A direct hit from an AR-15 on the thermal exhaust port on the southeast corner of the White House roof would set off a chain reaction that would destroy the entire District of Columbia. Sources also claim that since Trump's sons had extensive experience bullseyeing baby elephants in Africa that are no larger than two meters, it was only a matter of time before insurrectional scum made a move to destroy the entire facility. Just think, Washington, D.C. could have been destroyed. And as that is happening, we have Darth Austin himself, four-time vaccinated. He's not a four-star general. He's a four-jab general. <laughs> uh, he's uh, now announced that he has been infected. He has been infected, and his first response is, praise uh, be to the vax. The, the three, the <laughs> and the Albert Borla. Protection, if any. The three doses with a booster. They offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and deaths. Uh, uh, and now I think with this announcement, we are making this dream reality. Yeah, there you go. And watch the throat there. <laughs> yes, Borla has also announced, as he is quadruple jabbed, that he has now come down with the, uh, the dreaded disease. But it's okay. It's okay. As a matter of fact... You have uh, Darth Austin saying, I will retain all authorities and plan to maintain my normal work schedule virtually from home. There we go. Uh, send in the troops. <laughs> my doctor told me that my fully vaccinated status, including two booster shots, is why my symptoms are less severe than would otherwise be the case. Thanks to the power of the farce. May the farce be with you. <laughs> Yes, and uh, thanks to John Williams there. <laughs> uh, what fantastic music he, he makes. Anyway, um, Pfizer CEO has COVID. And again, I am feeling well while experiencing very mild symptoms. There's something going on in my throat that's like lizard-like. I'm not really sure what it is. But other than that, I am perfectly normal. And he says, uh, I am isolating and have started taking a course of Paxlovid. Ask your doctor if this is the right course for you. <laughs> because that's what this is really about. This is about selling the next gimmick. And it's not just Darth Austin, uh, Albert Borla, CEO of Pfizer himself, but also uh, the, <laughs> the uh, witch of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, <laughs> the Whitmer witch, also has COVID. But good news is she's been quadruple vaccinated as well. I am so grateful, she said, that being vaccinated and boosted has kept my symptoms mild. Yes. It just saves them left and right, doesn't it? Uh, if they're even sick. Anyway, the uh, Moderna vaccine is having a hard time uh, finding any takers. So they've had to dump 30 million doses. Quote, unquote, nobody wants them. <laughs> if they noticed that. 
Uh, all of these announcements, by the way, I think of all these people who say that they're sick and yet they seem to not be sick, but you know, they're not sick because of the, of the vaccine. Praise be to the vaccine. No, I think all this stuff is just a, a game that's being played on the gullible sheep who have been taking their shots. They're hoping that they will still take some more. Well, because I'm quadruple vaxxed, I, I can survive this thing. You should be quadruple vaxxed as well and get your packs of it, all the rest of this stuff. Uh, I know it's just a game for them because they know the rest of us aren't going to touch that stuff. Uh, and yet you have people who are giving it to their children and look at the horrific results of this already. Another 142 new cases of COVID-19 vaccine injuries to babies, to babies and young toddlers here in the United States, not even approved outside the United States. And yet, because we have been taken captive by the pharmacia, they're doing it here. Now stop and think about that. Uh, we have over and over again in the past, when the FDA did just a little bit of what they were supposed to do. When you had 142 people injured, they would stop the vaccine. This is just babies. And this is just a couple of months. This is babies being injured and they're not going to slow it down. They're going to completely ignore it. And the prostitutes in the press will completely ignore it for them as well, including Fox news, including Fox, because that's where they make their money. Uh, brain and heart injuries, hallucinations, anaphylactic shock, seizures, skin rashes, gastro gastrointestinal injuries, Hemorrhaging and other serious conditions continue to be listed as side effects to these toxic shots being injected into babies and toddlers. Uh, these are babies and toddlers between the ages of six months and four years old added to the VAERS database, 142 new cases. One of the most tragic things I'm reading in these write-ups of vaccine injuries, says Brian Shulhavi of uh, vaccineimpact.com, uh, is that parents and medical professionals are giving them acetaminophen, usually sold as Tylenol or paracetamol, uh, which study after study has shown is toxic and harmful to children. And I've talked about that as well. Uh, the fact that they started giving Tylenol, acetaminophen, um, uh, to uh, babies because of uh, the concern about aspirin to young children, Rise syndrome was something that they saw. So it's all right, stop that. We'll give young kids Tylenol. And now uh, they have documented the uh, adverse effects of Tylenol, of acetaminophen. But now in response to these adverse effects, they're giving them Tylenol as well. 600% more deaths reported in the last 19 months than the entire 32-year history of the VAERS database. Uh, the U.S. government, that would be the Trump government, has spent well over $130 for every man, woman, and child in America to push the COVID-19 vaccines. Just think about that. You know, we're talking about approximately $40 billion and about, you know, uh, a third of a billion um, people. And so it's about $120 for every man, woman, and child just for the jab. You know, for the research and development, supposedly, for the manufacture, for the distribution. You know, we pay for their research. We pay for the thing to be manufactured. We pay for them. We actually distribute it for them. And then they get paid in addition to that, as if they had borne all the cost of all of that. 
They get paid over and above that. And do you know how much they get paid for each shot now? In, um, in other countries, in India, uh, they are charging for these toxic injections $1.50. You know how much uh, Medicare Medicaid is paying? $40. $40 a shot. $1.50 for India, but for you and I, for the suckers who paid for the research development, for the manufacturing, for the distribution of it, and they're held harmless throughout all of this, and then they charge us uh, about 27 times what the people in India are charged for. Uh, they'll be paying us for compensation someday. Someday. We're going to fix that. This whole thing is a crime. Uh, so tens of billions of dollars more for lockdowns, for hospitals being subsidized, uh, for governors being subsidized to do that. Let all that sink in. And there's been more than 150% more reported adverse events for the single vaccine in the last 19 months than have ever been reported in the history of VAERS for all vaccines. So um, the... Uh, Luckily, the increase in reported deaths and injuries is waning, writes uh, Brian Shilhavi of Vaccine Import. As people wake up to the data, as Alex Berenson recently stated, the failure of the mRNA shots after the hype that surrounded them when they were introduced in 2020 is deeply disappointing. The development of new medicines cannot be rushed as much as we might hope they might. Regulators and ethical scientists must insist on properly designed and run clinical trials before approving any new drug or vaccine. But the failure of the vaccines is actually less corrosive at this point than the grim refusal by public health authorities, politicians, and the media to admit that failure. Since the problem that Alex Berenson has, <laughs> you know, he was somebody who was a reporter on the industry, and he, he looked at it as something that was beneficial and honest in the early days. I always looked at them as a bunch of crooks ever since I found out about the 1986 act that Fauci ran through. And the more I looked at it, uh, the uglier it became, the more corrupt uh, it, you could see it was. And so this is kind of his first rodeo. And he apparently doesn't have any idea about the plan. You know, he doesn't see this as a second shoe to drop from 9-11 to usher in a totalitarian police state and a surveillance state and the Great Reset. He doesn't see that part of it. He's simply looking at this and saying, how did we just rush this thing through and, and now these people, after the, seeing all of this, why aren't, they, uh, why aren't they admitting that it failed? Why aren't they taking precautions? Well, they got a lot of skin in the game. Uh, because at this point in time, these people have gone along with what they know is wrong for so long that they have now become criminal accessories to it. And so that's why they're doing this. And he doesn't see the big plan. That's why it was, I was glad to see that Robert Malone uh, is seeing how this is all tied together. He's starting to put those pieces together, saying, well, I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, hey, uh, there is a conspiracy here. So anyway, um, we need to understand what, what is happening with us, and here's part of the conspiracy. Facebook blocks a hashtag. Uh, hashtag died suddenly. Hashtag died suddenly. So they are hiding posts that have that hashtag. Uh, they claim that it violates their far-reaching community standards. We are going to be keeping our community safe. Posts with died suddenly are temporarily hidden here. 
some content in those posts goes against our community standards of telling the truth. That's, that's what their community standards are. Their community standards are, thou shalt not tell the truth, thou shalt not debate thy masters, thou shalt keep thy mouth shut, see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil about this narrative. That's their community standards at Facebook and the rest of these places, Twitter, a whole lot of them. Most of these Twitter posts note that those who died suddenly, hashtag died suddenly, were fully vaxxed for COVID-19 and allude to there being a connection between the vaccines and their deaths. Meanwhile, Facebook is a coincidence theorist position. Facebook prohibits claims that vaccines are toxic, dangerous, or cause autism. And it reduces the distribution of, quote, shocking stories, unquote, about the vaccine. Facebook's example of a shocking story is, listen to this headline, uncovered. See the 632 reports made of people who died within a week of having the new COVID-19 vaccine. What do you think that information be coming from? Well, it'd be coming from the CDC's own database, VAERS. The purpose of which was uh, when they created the thing uh, in the aftermath of giving legal immunity to the vaccine companies, they said, we'll keep a database and we'll use that to monitor safety and to make recommendations for improvements. And so uh, about three or four years before this particular thing started, as I pointed out before, um, there's a lawsuit that said, well, we'd like to see what recommendations you made and what kind of um, uh what have you done with this data? And they refused to answer. They were finally compelled in a lawsuit to answer. When they came back, they said, well, we haven't done anything with it. Nothing at all, which we all knew. Uh, Facebook has also mass censored anti-mask content, anti-lockdown content, content that said the coronavirus came from a lab and any other MacGuffin that goes against the uh, stated uh, purpose of these people. So, um, Throughout the media, as I've mentioned before, you see all these reports of people dying from heart attacks, the reasons that they're dying from it, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. You're, you're napping too much. You're not sleeping enough. You uh, took a cold shower, everything. But no explanation as to why myocarditis has become uh, ubiquitous everywhere, why now you have multiple schools, di school districts are telling young high school students they have to take an EKG before they can participate in sports. What is that about? That's, it's just a coincidence that that happened after these Trump shots went around the world. Uh, records show the CDC misled the public about the knowledge of its knowledge of COVID shot heart problems. Yes, uh, they've been caught lying. And they've been also, more to the point, as uh, we saw before all this uh, COVID pandemic began, the fact that they were not doing anything with their VAERS data. And uh, they were not making any recommendations for safety. They didn't care about that whatsoever. And so they had said that they were setting up reports that would data mine. Uh, it was going to be a proportional reporting ratio, they called it, PRRs, a data analysis to be done to take a look at what was showing up in VAERS. And the reality of all of this was that uh, they were not doing that. And once the lawsuit was filed and they denied it, listen to this. The lawsuit was filed uh, December 2021. And they waited until March 25th, 2022. That was the point 
at which they rejected the request for them to comply with the law, the Freedom of Information Act. So the lawsuit was, um, they said, that, not, sorry, not the lawsuit, the initial request was filed of December 2021. March the 25th, they deny uh, the production of documents, and then they start at that point in time the PRR, the Proportional Reporting Ratio, a data analysis. And they did it for just two months and then stopped. That was just to uh, cover their behinds. They looked at that and said, oops, we haven't done anything. Reject that. Okay, let's stall. Let's uh, you know, uh, not comply with this. We'll stall, buy ourselves a little bit of time. And while uh, we know that we're eventually going to have to produce this, so let's do something that we can give them. We don't want to get caught yet again showing that we don't care about the data that we're collecting on safety, as I'd already demonstrated once before, before this whole thing happened. Uh, you think that maybe they manipulate the data as well? Mm, I think so. And as I point out, the best data that we have is from the Pentagon, of course, the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, DMED. DMED is a much better gauge of this because unlike theirs, where they make it uh, very cumbersome uh, to report it, where there is often active uh, discouragement from hospitals and others for them to, for doctors to file this information, the Defense Department's medical epidemiology database is set up to be an early warning system for an attack, a biological or chemical attack. And so these watchers on the wall are tasked with doing, this is their job. I mean, this is like being AWOL if you don't keep this stuff. It's like, um, you know, being asleep on sentry duty. And yet, when you had some doctors go back, and, and they didn't do anything about this. So the people who were supposed to be the watchers weren't raising any flags. And so some doctors went in and said, okay, here's, let's look at the past five years and compare it to what's happening in 2021. So we'll take the past five years, use that as a baseline average to compare what's happened this year. And they saw things going up by thousands of percent, by hundreds of percent. For example, hypertension, high blood pressure, an increase of 2,200% uh, neurological disorders, an increase of 1,000%, multiple sclerosis, an increase of 680%, Guillain-Barre syndrome, 551%, breast cancer, 487%, female infertility, 472% increase with the vaccines over the previous five-year combined baseline. Pulmonary embolism, 468%. Migraines, 452%. Ovarian dysfunction, 437% increase. Testicular cancer, 369% increase. And tachycardia, that is a heart rhythm, heart racing, 302%. So when they came up with those astounding numbers, the response from the Pentagon was to double down on the cover-up. First of all, they didn't do their job and warn people that this was happening. Other people did their job for them. And when they did their job for them, they went back and said, well, the previous five years are all wrong. This year is correct, but those previous five years, we're going to have to change all of those numbers. How credible is that? Not at all. So uh, when you move forward with this, the availability of effective treatments and prevention tools, now says the CDC, have substantially reduced the risk for medically significant COVID-19 illness. This is the exact wording. Children's Health Defense says, well, would like to have been a fly on the wall uh, to hear how they were writing this. You know, they got caught. 
uh, this stuff is dangerous, it's ineffective, now what do we do? You know, the CDC's just pulled back a whole bunch of mandates and dictates, things about antisocial distancing, whether or not you have, you have mandatory testing and quarantining of people who don't have any symptoms, simply based on your beliefs about their proximity to other people, and even admitting that there is natural immunity. And so we're going to treat the vaccine, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated the same way. So I said, whoa, I would have liked to have heard how they crafted this thing. How they can say, you know, well, we got to put a statement out, but let's make sure that we don't say that anything was a lie, that anything was wrong, that anything was false. We got to kind of walk, you know, skirt that area, you know, and, and not even say mistakes were made. This is what you typically hear from these people. Well, you know, mistakes were made, but, you know. They can't say that any mistakes were made. Can't say anything was wrong or false. And so we have to, though, somehow reverse ourselves. How are we going to do that? Well, they talk about the availability of effective treatments. Are they talking about like ivermectin now being available to people or hydroxychloroquine? You know, I think when history is written on all this stuff, um, uh, Zelensky, who has now died, I mean, he already had terminal cancer when this stuff began. But uh, I think that guy is going to deserve a place of honor. Um, what he did to help people. He was unlike most of the doctors that we've seen in this. Uh, he was not concerned. You know, he could see that this stuff wasn't working. And he thought for himself. And he decided, well, um, uh, let me see what I can do. Uh, and you know, if, if this will work and he tried a few things and he had very, very good results. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was living in a very small, very tight community. You know, he lived in an Orthodox Jewish community. Everybody knew everybody else. This is the importance of community folks. This is why I say if they can separate us, which is a big part of what this whole lockdown was about, is about atomizing us, Right. The attacks on our society are really an attack even on the family to split the nuclear family, if you will, splitting the atom. And uh, so they don't want you to have a family. They certainly don't want you to have a community, but they did there. And so he had, because it was a tight-knit, small community, he'd see the same people over and over again. He knows all these people, and he is a doctor, and he realizes that he has the ability and the possibility of helping these people. And so he worked on it and he was attacked by the political leaders in that small community for helping people because they got leaned on by people that were outside of their community that they perceived to be higher up. But I think, um, history is going to be written by us, by the survivors, by the people who did not take the genetic code injection. We will write the history and we will honor people who have stood in the gap who have retained their integrity, who followed their oath to their medical practice, who first do no harm, and uh, the people who followed their oath to the Constitution. They will be remembered. These circumstances, this is what these lying grifters at the CDC were saying. These circumstances now allow public health efforts to minimize the individual and societal health impacts of COVID-19 by focusing on sustainable measures to further reduce medically significant illness, 
as well as to minimize strain on the healthcare system while reducing barriers to social, educational, and economic activity. You say it was all a victory, according to the CDC. They saved us. And this retrenchment, this 180-degree uh, reversal, this is all a victory. This is the way they're portraying it. Now, Children's Health Society says, well, if you want to translate that in English, it just says everybody can pretty much go back to normal. That's not the translation. I'm sorry. I, I think they got that wrong. What they're saying is, for now, we're going to leave you alone. But we got it all right. And we have established a new normal as long as they have their executive order emergencies in. And they're in at every level. We're day 885 of the presidential uh, emergency order. As I've pointed out many times, the end of March, you had Greg Abbott re-up the COVID pandemic emergency order. They have left their dictatorial medical martial law powers in there, and they're waiting for another opportunity to come after us with their emergency declarations. As a Children's Health Defense says, remember when 40% of the members of the black community in New York City who refused the jab were not allowed into restaurants, bars, libraries, museums, or theaters? Now no one wants to talk about that. And they mentioned that because it was the black community that had the largest refusal rate. Oh, so I guess it is inherently racist, right? Well, not necessarily. They're equal opportunity tyrants. They'll come after everybody, but, uh, you know, it should, we should point that out any way that we can. This is also universities, colleges, the military, so on, all still have mandates in place. You understand that? Colleges, universities, military, all still have mandates. And um, so, you know, if we want to look at all of this and understand where we are, even a new normal, this is why I say I'm far more conservative than the conservatives. I want to go back to when we had freedom in the Constitution. I want to go back to uh, before we had this. They have guy. to get the shot. The vaccination Remember that? is so important. Yeah. This is really going around. That today. was the fight up in New York about private religious schools. Again, it was the Orthodox Jewish community there. It was uh, people in California. And they asked him about that. You know, he had gaslighted or lied to a bunch of people who supported him, made him think that he was a uh, pharmaceutical vaccine skeptic. Uh, Alex used to tell everybody, oh, yeah, Trump's going to fix all this stuff. Uh, I think that uh, Barron has got autism uh, from a vaccine injury, and he knows all about that stuff. Look at the things that he said and so forth. He's going to fix all this stuff. And then he says, no, no, they got to get the shots. Got to get the shots to stop you from getting measles? Seriously? You mean your measles vaccine doesn't work either? That's right. doesn't, yeah. You don't believe that it does, but you're going to make everybody get it, and you're going to have to get it in order to go to even a private religious school. Even if the vaccine is against your religious beliefs, you're going to have to get it to go to that private religious school. That was what Trump was supporting. And so nothing is going back to normal as long as we're kicking kids out of school because they're not taking an MMR shot. I mean, this is much bigger. And of course, Children's Health Defense knows that. They've been in that fight for a long time. But let's understand what the real issue is and how this is not going to be over until we... Uh, Focus on that. Uh, the World Health Organization is tireless in their agenda. You know, we look at this stuff and you're like, all right, whew, 
well, we beat back the CDC. Well, not really. And we beat back the World Health Organization when they were pushing the Global Pandemic Treaty a couple of months ago. And they didn't even wait two months to resubmit it. They're tireless. And we're going to have to be just as tireless in our defense of our liberty. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And we have to understand that now the World Health Organization has renewed the push for the global pandemic treaty, and they've got a billion dollars in funding from the World Bank to help create vaccine passports. They've not gotten rid of the emergency orders. They've not gotten rid of the vaccine mandates in most of our institutions. And they're proceeding ahead with the vaccine passports, and they've got it funded by the World Bank. And they're pushing for the World Health Organization to take over Fauci's job. Uh, they're moving ahead with plans to enact a new or revised international pandemic preparedness treaty despite encountering setbacks earlier this summer after dozens of countries, primarily the countries outside of the Western world, because all the people in the Western world are hail hydra. Uh, Stat News. This is Stat News is a pharmaceutical industry publication. Uh, they described the agreement that would create a new global framework for responding to pandemics as, quote, the most transformative global health call to action since the WHO itself was formed as the first specialized United Nations agency in 1948. So this is as big as the World Health Organization itself, according to Pharmaceutical News, Stat News. And they're not stopping. Everything got pushed back just a couple of months ago. And um, it was back in May when this thing was in, in December of 2021. They started talking about it. They pushed the stuff out there in May. If you remember, uh, we, we talked about that a great deal. Had the people who were following this and exposing it in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in great detail on, I can't remember his name right now, but um, I apologize to him. But um, anyway, had him on several times. We talked about this. There was enough awareness that it got shut down, and they immediately double down and bring it back again. It's tireless. Uh, the framework already allows for the World Health Organization Director General to declare a public health emergency in any country without the consent of the country's government, though the framework requires the two sides to first attempt to reach an agreement. We've just seen that, by the way. You know, Tedros, the Marxist politician who is now head of the World Health Organization, just did that with monkeypox. Uh, he has a scientific advisory group. Uh, the vast majority of them said, no, it's not a pandemic. And he overruled them. This politician, this Marxist politician overruled them. And so this is whether or not the World Health Organization and uh, they were going to have a distributed bureaucracy where they would have representatives all over the world and any of them could declare this. And what they were trying to do was to change the fundamental rules to give this teeth to make sure that people had to do what they said. So back in May, uh, they said it would somewhat strengthen the World Health Organization's pandemic-related powers, including establishing a compliance committee that would issue advisory recommendations for various states. So that was pushed down. And then here we are, less than two months later, brought back and boosted. Just two days after the July 21st uh, IMB agreement, Tedros 
tweeted, I am pleased that alongside the process of negotiating a new international accord on pandemic preparedness and response, WHO's member states are also considering targeted amendments to the IHR, uh, ways to improve the process for declaring a public health emergency of international concern. And, uh, of course, to compel people to follow certain procedures with it. Uh, so along with that, we see that uh, the, there is a, a strategic partnership that has uh, uh, sprung up between the World Bank, between Gates ID 2020. Bill Gates uh, wanted to get an identification number for everybody by 2020. We're well into that. And also companies like MasterCard. So they've entered into a couple of different companies, have entered into a strategic partnership with MasterCard uh, to expand these identity cards into Africa, where, well, they just don't have enough IDs like us, right? They call it Africa CDC Travel Pass. MasterCard has also promoted technology that can be embedded into the DO card, D-O card, uh, which is, I guess that's uh, what you're allowed to do. You know, if you don't have a DO card, you can't do anything. Uh, so uh, that is going to be tracking your individual personal carbon allowance, the DO card. So, you know, you go from MasterCard to DO card. Master, may I? Isn't it funny? You know, we have these realtors who... Say, well, we got to get rid of this term master bedroom because that implies that there's slaves in the rest of the house. <laughs> but they don't have a problem with MasterCard, right? Even though MasterCard, like most of these credit card companies, have such confiscatory usurious interest rates that they literally do turn you into slaves. But hey, MasterCard, that's fine. And MasterCard can come up with another card which tells you whether or not you can do anything based on your carbon footprint, your personal carbon footprint, where they're tracking everything that you do, everywhere you go, everything that you eat, and giving you a score and telling, sorry, can't do any more about that. So, you know, you go back and you look at ID2020. Bill Gates was at the center of that. But it also included the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, his Gavi Vaccine Alliance, UNICEF, the World Bank, as well as the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, MasterCard, by the way, they're two top stockholders are Vanguard and BlackRock. The people that are pushing ESG, environmental social governance, right? Which is the, the fact that profits don't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is that you're going to enforce the government's environmental and uh, Marxist agendas on people. And uh, MasterCard is also providing funding for the World Bank's identity for development. That's ID4D. So they have one identification program stacked upon another. How many have I just talked about here? Well, you know, you've got the Do card. You've got the Africa CDC Travel Pass. You've got the ID2020 program. You've got the ID4D. Do you understand? This, this is like a multiple nuclear warhead, uh, you know, multiple uh, warhead missile that it's coming at us. It's got all these, you want to talk about Hydra? It's got all these different heads where they are coming at us from every different direction. All these different com companies and globalist organizations pushing this. Every single one of them has got more than one identification program. As a matter of fact, you look at uh, Davos, they had their 
Common Pass program. That was their vaccine um, program, and it was part of their commons program to control the common man. Uh, MasterCard is so active in Africa, it has a joint initiative with other financial uh, technology companies, one of them PayCode, to increase access to financial services and government assistance for remote communities across Africa. we got to get all the African people paying 20% on credit cards too, right? I mean, up till the hyperinflation of uh, Jimmy Carter and the OPEC oil embargo and everything, it was against the law, and it should have been, to charge somebody more than 10% interest. As I pointed out, when interest rates for homes um, hit, uh, what was it, when it hit 5% or something like that, I said, well, you know, the last time they had a 5% interest rate was something like 1965 or 63 or something. So I, th- I thought, I wonder what the banks were paying people on their savings accounts in terms of interest. And so they were charging people, you know, five, five and a half percent on their home mortgage, but they would pay you if you put money in your savings account, they pay you 4% interest. What do we get today? We get like 0.02% interest. I mean, this game has been so rigged against people. You know, if you want to run for office, if you want to start a political party, Andrew Yang, why don't you start with that? If I was going to run for a political party, that would be my number one issue. And that would be the usury laws. And I would find things like that that would unite people. If anybody wants to do that, I'm not interested in running for office. But if you want to run for office, you find things that are going to unify people for liberty, not unify them for slavery, promising them comfort, promising them safety. Well, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, this this is where we are right now. And all of this then channels, you follow this whole thing, and the ID programs naturally flow into the UN 2030 agenda. Uh, this agreement that uh, about all of these uh, ID programs is, um, follows the 2019 strategic partnership between the UN and the World Economic Forum where they said we're going to accelerate the implementation of UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. And uh, it all flows into biometric identification. Final one here, Andrew Budd, CEO of biometric ID company iProve. iProve. Well, guess what? I spy with my little eye uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of dictator, godlike dictator wannabes. So I prove a U.S. Department of Homeland Security contractor. They describe the vaccine t- certificates as driving, quote, the whole field of digital ID in the future. Oh, really? <laughs> I told you that from the very beginning. I said they're going to require everybody to take a vaccine. And the reason that they're doing the vaccine and the reason they won't allow anything else, they won't allow any therapeutics. You have to have the vaccine. you got to have this one thing, one thing and one thing only. And so we're going to have to have a record as to whether or not you got this one thing. And uh, that is going to be what is going to determine whether or not you can do anything or not. That was always in the mix. Now they're admitting it. Well, you know, I I think I can see the future now, uh, says the guy who has been involved in planning the future for quite some time. He said it's not just going to be about COVID. It'll be about something even bigger that, quote, once it's adopted for COVID, it'll be rapidly used for everything, everything else. 
Yes, this is what has been wrought by, this is the rot that has been wrought by these uh, dictators like uh, Trump and Biden, uh, these Benedict Donalds. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Trump raid and what is going on with that and the many different uh, heads of that hydra. We'll be right back. Listening to the David Knight Show. Elvis. Ladies and gentlemen. The Beatles! And the sweet sounds of Motown. Find them on the Oldies channel at APSradio.com. All right, and I uh, want to acknowledge uh, some of the tips and some of the comments here. And uh, just real quickly, uh, I'm still trying to find it. I I got um, an email from uh, Jason Barker, who is a regular listener, and uh, he had a question about this Novavax vaccine and whether or not it was uh, using uh, fetal cell uh, fetal cells to test it, whether or not there would be any, because it's about to be approved and mandated for the military and for other people. Uh, so is this different or the same from some of these others? And the answer is uh, it does have issues. And I uh, wanted to cover that, and I seem to have misplaced that. So I'm going to wait so I can give you all the details about that until I can find it. Maybe it'll show up in my stack of papers here. Grabbed all these stack, uh, these papers here and I must have put it in the wrong place as I was transferring it from my office to the desk here. Uh, but I want to thank those who, who left tips on Rockfan. Geesebusters, Geesebusters, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate that tip. Brian Kinney, thank you as well. He says, uh, excellent show as always. Speaking of health, it's coming to light now that the paperclip club's involvement in creation and specialization of MS and Lyme disease. Check out researcher Rachel Verdon. Uh, evidence suggests Mingala was in the U.S. in 1950 recruiting for Dow Chemical. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, the Lyme disease thing, that is uh, something uh, that has um, uh, really become a big issue. It's a big issue where we lived in the woods in North Carolina, and we've had family members who have uh, tested positive for that, and we're hoping that we got that in the early stage, but it's really spreading everywhere. Uh, came out of, um, uh, is that what I left behind? Uh, okay, okay, well, I won the article, though. I appreciate that, Karen, but I need to find the article. The article is here somewhere um, to answer the question. Um, and so, yeah, uh, when you look at um, Plum Island and Lyme disease, it's a pretty clear connection. Uh, all right, I'll try to look that up and see if I can get some information about that. Uh, the, uh, the the reality is, is that whether or not it was Mengele, it was the spirit of Mengele, wasn't it? 
I mean, everything that when you look at the foundation of, um, you know, the Operation Paperclip people and uh, the involvement of the scientists that they brought in, uh, at that point, the American government sold its soul. Uh, they, well, we want what these people got and we don't really care how we get it, right? The end justifies the means. And so while they were executing some of the people who said, well, I was just following orders, they brought in the people who had useful stuff. And they would bury them a couple of layers down from the organization head. Uh, but they were the ones who were really uh, organizing it and doing the research. An excellent book on that is by Annie Jacobson, talking about Operation Paperclip. Uh, J.P. Brakes, thank you very much for the tip. He said, uh, missed your voice of reasoning and sincerity on InfoWars. This is a place to be for the truth. Enough with the Trump love fest. Thank you for what you do. God bless you. Well, thank you, J.P. Appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about the Trump love fest here. And, and there are things that we should be concerned about and that are bigger than Trump, uh, much bigger than Trump, and that is the rule of law. Rand Paul has come out calling for a repeal of the Espionage Act that he calls egregious, and he's right about that. I, I'm surprised that um, the, um, although this says it's 100 years old and it's been used uh, repeatedly, they don't point out the fact that Obama used this more, you know, he left office 2017, right? The Espionage Act came from 1917. So in that 100-year period, in the eight years of the Obama administration, he invoked the Espionage Act against people more than all of the previous presidents combined. And in a way, what is happening is, this is just the, the canard of the national security well, I'm going to do this because of national security. That gives them freedom to do whatever they want. You know, it's like the, the left screaming racist, you know, or you know, white privilege or whatever. They, they play the national security card and wear that out. You know, there is a legitimate national security and there's a real thing called racism, but these people have made mockeries of both of those things because everywhere they see national security. And so Rand Paul tweeted out, said, uh, the Espionage Act was abused from the beginning to jail dissenters of World War I. It is now long past time to repeal this egregious affront to the First Amendment. Uh, meanwhile, well, that's, as I said yesterday, I said the, the invocation of the Espionage Act is Exhibit A to show you that this is coming from the DNC, the political left, the Obama Club. Hillary Clinton, Biden, Obama, that group. They love the Espionage Act. So that's Exhibit A to show you that this whole Trump raid was uh, coming from them. Exhibit B is Andrew McCabe. <laughs> uh, the guy, one of the guys was fired uh, by Trump. And there were a lot of people inside the FBI at the time. People in the FBI were saying Andrew McCabe should be fired. And you remember he got fired just before he was about to grab that gold ring of the retirement thing, just a few months before that, uh, he is hopping mad about Trump. And he says, here's exhibit B. Trump knows that he's unleashing aggrieved, politically extreme people on FBI. Okay, so that it is political, but let me give you something else to think about here. How many times has Donald Trump told his people, they're coming after me because I'm between you and them. 
I'm, I'm the one protecting all of you out there, you know, my fan club. Nothing could be further from the truth. They're coming after us because we're the ones between them and Trump, or at least the people in the MAGA cult. And they're painting anybody who has a you know, limited government, Republican understanding, anybody like that is painted as a Trump threat. They're using Trump to get to us. And uh, that is how they are. He's not protecting us. They're using him to label us as dangerous, extremist, stupid, and hateful like the person that they're following. Andrew McCabe said on Monday on CNN's New Day that he believed that Trump knowingly unleashed very aggrieved, politically extreme people with his criticisms of the FBI's raid on Florida State last week. Well, here's the thing, McCabe. I know you haven't read the Constitution, or if you did, you disagree with it and violate it all the time. But the First Amendment says that uh, you can publicly assemble and you can address your grievances. Who has grievances? Aggrieved people. <laughs> he practically quotes the First Amendment to trash it. Aggrieved people have political grievances, and that doesn't make them extreme. It makes you extreme when you don't support the Constitution, and we know you don't. Former DNI Ratcliffe, Director of National Intelligence Ratcliffe, uh, said uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice have become the enforcement arm of the Democrat Party. We talk about something that's obvious. That's really obvious. Here's one of the most obvious examples of that. Representative Scott Perry, the guy whose phone they confiscated, Remember, he said, uh, "What are you? I'm on vacation with my family, and the FBI comes up and strong arms me and takes my phone." Uh, they said, "Well, you're not the target of the investigation." Well, what is he the target of then? He said, "If you wanted something, first of all, I'm a sitting member of Congress. Secondly, you could have talked to my lawyers, and this could all been negotiated. You don't have to do that unless you have different purposes." They're trying to, of course, intimidate him. And he said, he's now come out and talked about what he thinks the motives for this are. He said, the FBI seizing my phone may be reprisal. That's what he uses, the term reprisal. May be reprisal for when I call for the impeachment of Merrick Garland. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, no basis for this. Very flimsy. He said, there's a reason why we have this thing in Congress called the speech or debate clause which protects members of Congress from the executive branch because we don't want them to try to use that to coerce you to vote a certain way or to not vote a certain way. For instance, when Merrick Garland, he said, prevailed upon everyday citizens showing up at school board meetings to question what their children were being taught. Uh, by the way, they're being taught curriculum that was being put out, Marxist curriculum, CRT curriculum, being put out there by Merrick Garland's uh, son-in-law, and he was making lots and lots of money off of that. So Merrick Garland issued essentially a threat tag on these people. He said, after that, I called for impeachment of Merrick Garland. I actually introduced articles of impeachment on Merrick Garland. So am I now to think that because I did that, this is now a reprisal for that action? And is that a coercive thing? He said, my viewpoints, generally speaking, echo and represent the viewpoints of the district that, I've rep that I represent. That's why it's called a representative republic. So essentially, when they coerce and try to silence me, they're trying to coerce and silence the constituents that I work for, my bosses that I represent. Now, see, he gets it right. For him, it's not about him. 
He doesn't say to his constituents, you know, they're only coming after me because I'm here to protect you from them. No, what he's saying is, what you're doing to me is a threat to them. Because ultimately about his constituents. He said, um, again, you know, they, I was traveling with my family, my wife, my two young children, extended family. They made a spectacle out of this. They tried to make an example out of him. It was intimidation. He said, uh, none of that was necessary. So you wonder, is the spectacle part of the intimidation? Well, that's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is yes. Whistleblowers are now revealing, uh, say, um, says Chuck Grassley and uh, um, uh, Jim Jordan, they are now saying that FBI whistleblowers are talking about who specifically in the FBI is so politicized. Uh, beginning in late May, Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley called attention to then Washington Field Office Assistant Special Agent in Charge. <laughs> uh, all right. Who are you and what is your rank? Well, he's <laughs> got like a 15-word title here. But the guy's name is Timothy Thibault, I guess. Thibault? T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. I should have looked up how to pronounce it. But back in May, Chuck Grassley called him out over his political bias. He's very concerned about it. Uh, this FBI agent, we'll call him Thibault, <laughs> <It's coughs> expressed support, uh, said Chuck Grassley, for several highly partisan opinion articles on LinkedIn and made a series of politically charged social media posts. And um, he referred him even to the Office of Special Counsel. He says this, this FBI agent is so highly politicized. He's so highly partisan that I want the Office of Special Counsel to look at him. You know, he doesn't have any neutrality here. Right. I mean, uh, just with law enforcement, just like with the court, you know, there's supposed to be uh, this neutrality, this objectivity. He doesn't have it, said Grassley at the time. Concerns surrounding Thibault escalated in July as whistleblowers came forward claiming that his partisan persuasion directly impacted his work at the Bureau. <clears throat> While seeking approval from FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland to open an investigation into Trump's 2020 presidential campaign, uh, Thibault withheld from them that his predicating evidence was based in, quote, substantial part, unquote, on information from a, quote, left-aligned organization, according to Grassley's office. In a separate instance, whistleblowers claim that Thibault worked to falsely discredit evidence against President Biden's son, Hunter, and to prevent the Bureau from investigating him. So <clears throat> he's getting left-wing, he's getting information from highly partisan left-wing organizations. That's the only thing that he's got, and he wants to go after the former president. And then he also is working overtime to discredit any evidence against the current president's obvious corruption and the laptop. Whistleblowers have told my office, as said Grassley in August, that the FBI maintains many sources that have provided extensive information on Hunter Biden. That information allegedly involves potential criminal activity, such as money laundering. According to allegations, the underlying information was verified and verifiable. However, instead of greenlighting an investigative activity, 
the FBI shut it down. Grassley also pointed to Robert Pilger of the Election Crimes Branch, who he alleges was a vital age to Thibault in his efforts to open the investigation into Trump. Now, this guy also has a history. Uh, Robert Pilger, I looked him up, he is... Um, uh, he was involved with Lois Lerner at the IRS. Remember, Lois Lerner was slow walking or denying uh, tax exempt status to conservative organizations, and the Obama administration became a scandal. And uh, it was eventually shown that yes, in fact, she was doing it. Well, he was working with her to do that. Uh, sources briefed on the raid confirmed to just the news that the agents came from the Washington field office in which Thibault was serving until just days prior. And uh, again, I've used his name so much, I hope that if you know the right way to pronounce it, that <laughs> this is not grating on your nerves to hear me con continually uh, mispronounce it, which I probably am. Uh, in late July, whistleblower reports emerged that bureau supervisors are pressuring agents to reclassify cases under the label domestic violent extremism. Remember that? You know, that's their new replacement label for sovereign citizens, right? Uh, back after the 2012 election, oh, somebody has got, you know, they were telling people, I'm sorry, 2008 election, uh, where you had uh, Ron Paul, you had Chuck Baldwin running. Then in 2009, the federal government is sending memos out via their fusion center saying, be on the lookout for sovereign citizens. And the way you can identify them is that they've got a bumper sticker supporting Ron Paul <laughs> or Chuck Baldwin. Uh, so now they have come up with a new term, domestic violent extremism. And um, so what, what was it that Truman said? They're trending toward a Gestapo. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That was in 1947. They're way beyond the trend now. They're real ahead of the way ahead of the trend. Uh, so Jim Jordan says, uh, and he is the ranking House Judiciary Committee member uh, for the Republicans, he said there are 14 FBI whistleblowers that have come forward after the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. Well, we focus so much on Donald Trump, right? But uh, let's talk about what's happening to Dr. Simone Gold. One of the people that was caught up in this January the 6th thing, and she wasn't even there to stroke Trump's ego. Uh, she was there because of the pandemic and the things that he had put in place. She was there to talk to the people who hated what they were living under but couldn't see who was responsible for it and were still trying to keep that same guy in office. You know, all the lockdowns, being told you're not essential, the rushing of the vaccine, all that stuff that Trump did the helicopter cash to the governors and the hospitals and the doctors to kill people. Uh, Dr. Simone Gole is now in prison. She said uh, her spirits are high, but she is enduring solitary confinement. Uh, all she did was to enter the Capitol and to give a speech about medicine and uh, treatment and things like that. It wasn't political at all except that this whole pandemic is political. And because of that, they made an example out of her. So she issued a short statement from the federal prison where she's serving a 60-day jail term for a misdemeanor. A misdemeanor. 
go to jail for 60 days. And she's pointed out that she thinks this judge is also, besides the political bias, that he has a personal bias against her uh, because uh, she turned the nerd down when he asked to date her in college. Uh, but anyway, um, so for a misdemeanor, she's serving a 60-day jail term. For entering the restricted grounds of the Capitol building on January the 6th, this is sacred ground to these people. Oh, you you got into the holy of holies? You you washing you government infidel? You don't believe in the cult of government and you got you penetrated into our holiest area there? The chambers? <laughs> uh, she said I remain in this Miami prison serving time for a bogus trespassing charge. Um, <clears throat> she said even the prison staff has noted the volume of supportive mail. Uh, that I'm getting. I'm both humbled and strengthened. Thank you. She went on to describe how the prison has used COVID-19 as an excuse to impose solitary confinement on all females entering the prison. See, it's not over. It's not over. All this stuff about the CDC, they're just, it's just political maneuvering. They're using, uh, they're tacking around this whole situation. Uh, so even though the CDC has just repealed all these mandatory quarantines, the prisons are still doing it as if the dictate was still there. And again, who is it that gives dictates? Ah, those would be dictators. Uh, all incoming female inmates are put into a, a punishment isolation cell under the guise of quarantine, she said. They told me it wasn't for punishment, but it was certainly a punishing and inhumane experience. Another form of arbitrary punishment is moving me, along with other inmates, to new cells with no notice. A guard simply yells my name, and I'm expected to move at any moment. My staff knows that if I stop emailing or calling, it's because they've moved me or possibly put me back into isolation. Uh, her computer time is limited to 15-minute sessions. Uh, that's the only place where she can communicate with people. She said, I've noticed activity in the prison that makes me fearful for my own safety. But she said, my spirits are high. I'm more determined than ever to keep fighting for you and for medical freedom. Uh, in addition to the 60 days that she has, she's going to face 12 months of supervised release, $9,500 in fines, which CNN noted at the time is the largest fine imposed to date among the almost 200 rioters who have been sentenced. She was not even aware that she was in a restricted area. Again, she gets there after the place has been opened up and you got uh, Capitol Police are standing on either side of the doors and saying, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. You know, and everybody's walking in and out. Why would she think that she was trespassing? It's political, just like the pandemic was political. Uh, she gave a speech at Statuary Hall, a speech about her opposition to the COVID vaccine mandates and government-imposed lockdowns. Uh, her sentence is unusually severe for her misdemeanor charge. Most of those who merely entered the Capitol without any disorderly conduct, who have already been charged, were sentenced with probation without any jail term. Uh, but um, they're making an example out of her, because this is political. Uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid, don't feel sorry for Trump. He's gotten a 10-point bump in the polls. Yeah, it's working out great for him. He's raising so much money. Popularity has never been higher, and yet he continues to portray himself as a martyr. 
Starbucks, interestingly enough, let's talk a little bit about the uh, actual voting that everybody was so upset about on January the 6th. Starbucks has an election happening within the company over unions. And they don't like vote by mail on election that affects them. But they're still pushing it for U.S. elections. Isn't that typical? So we're going to have an election as to whether or not there's going to be unions inside my company. I don't want to have vote by mail. But, you know, when we have the election on the outside, we're going to not only support that, but give money to support that. <clears throat> so um, the Star Starbucks and its CEO, Howard Schultz, continue to push for vote by mail in U.S. elections, despite concerns among voters that it, too, might be subject to irregularities and lack of oversight. Uh, Starbucks is accusing the National Labor Relations Board employees of secretly coordinating with union organizers, and it wants the agency to halt all mail-in votes nationwide until a full investigation has been conducted. Oh, well. But on the other hand, when it comes to U.S. elections, the StarbucksPartnersVote.com website includes information about vote by mail. The website is powered by Democracy Works, a nonprofit that is funded by left-of-center donor foundations. So, uh, yeah, uh, maybe uh, what Starbucks should do is just have everybody vote electronically, right? Oh, that should solve it all, right? Yeah, both the mail voting and uh, vote by mail. And, and again, you know, I had uh, somebody contact me. Uh, who is, I think she was blind, and she said, I've always done absentee ballot. Uh, well, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about somebody who is physically unable to go <clears throat> for whatever reason. Uh, there is, has long been a process for doing that. We're talking about what I would call uh, a mail-out election, where they mail ballots out to everybody for no reason at all. So, you know, they have long periods of time. In many cases, like North Carolina, there's no identification of voters. So you can vote early. You can vote often. You get ballots from multiple jurisdictions. We've seen that as well. Uh, it is, and that's all before you even start talking about this mule thing, right? So there's so many different ways to game that system. And there's a lot of different ways to game electron, electronic voting. And it's actually even easier to game. And I know that Dinesh D'Souza didn't want to do a documentary about that aspect of it because there's a lot of lawsuits flying about that. The New York Times has got an article about that, as a matter of fact. Defamation suit about election falsehoods uh, put Fox on its heels. So, again, um, the New York Times pronounces that it's false, and so, therefore, it is false. They don't have to prove that it's false. Uh, they don't have to prove that the election was authentic. Uh, they are now saying that um, any question of that is actionable. Uh, in the weeks after Trump lost the 2020 election, writes the New York Times, Fox business host Lou Dobbs claimed to have, quote, tremendous evidence, unquote, that voter fraud was to blame. That evidence never emerged, says New York Times, but a new culprit uh, in the supposed scheme to rig the election did emerge. Dominion Voting Systems, uh, the technology whose algorithms Dobbs said were designed to be inaccurate. Maria Bartiromo also falsely stated, Nancy Pelosi has an interest in this company. 
Janine Pirro, a Fox News personality, speculated that technical glitches in Dominion's software could have affected thousands of absentee mail-in ballots. So with all that stuff that's there, uh, the question is, you know, will these people <clears throat> who were pushing this, I, w- I would like to see... I would like to see this. I would like to see this in a court. You know, for the longest time, Rudy Giuliani and the rest of these people said, well, we'd like to take our case to court. And the court said, uh, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm going to just avoid this whole issue by saying you don't have standing. And that's what we saw over and over again. And that's why I said right away from the very beginning, well, if you think you got something, you need to forget about taking it to the courts. You need to take it to the Republican legislatures where there was a very close situation. I even laid that out. Uh, over the weekend before I was fired, and I said, we're past the point where that could be done, and they never did that. They continued to do fundraising, and they talked about how they were being kicked out of the courts, and they shouldn't have been kicked out of the courts. I mean, you know, we had um, the 2000 election that uh, where there were all the accusations about whether they were hanging chads and the rest of the stuff between George W. Bush and Al Gore. Uh, That was heard. That went all the way to the Supreme Court. It was accelerated. Why didn't anything like that happen anywhere? Uh, They should have done that. They should have done that. It might not have put all the concerns to bed, but uh, they should have at least tried to do that in the same way that they should have if they think that they've got something on Trump. They should go through the extra process of setting up a special counsel to avoid the appearance of um, something that is corrupt. But they don't care anymore about any of this stuff. And so as I pointed out at the time, you got four different states who have Republican legislatures, and it was razor-thin margin of error. Two of those states even had Republican governors. So take it to those states and make your case. And if you can, then the legislature can send a different slate of electors, and then you have something to talk about on January 6th. But I pointed out, that time has already passed. So what is this all about, I said, as Alex was going from place to place, raising money with all this stuff. So it looks like now they may get a hearing in court if they want it. And so the question will be now, will Fox News cave into this lawsuit and just say they made it all up like Alex Jones did? Or will they actually fight over what they were telling people and say, well, I want to see the receipts. I want to see uh, what you've got that that proves what you have to say. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things about this. Because as they say in this article from the New York Times, it included allegations that Dominion was a front for the communist government in Venezuela, that its voting machines could switch votes from one candidate to another. When you talk about electronic voting machines being able to switch votes from one candidate to another, that's been demonstrated for decades, even by community college uh, computer science professors. If you got access via the internet, if you got access via a thumb drive, you can put something on there to do that exact thing. It's been demonstrated on local TV over and over again. I've played the uh, photos of that, and uh, there were questions about whether or not there had been an opportunity for access to these voting machines, both in person and over the internet. So that's not something that is even debatable, but the uh, New York Times just dismisses it out of hand. See, the New York Times is just as phony on all this election stuff as, any, as they accuse anybody else of being. I would say even phonier. Because the, um, I don't know exactly the charges that were being made by Dobbs and Pelosi, or, or, uh, by Dobbs and Pirro and um, 
uh, Bartiromo. Uh, I didn't watch, I, I don't watch Fox News. But uh, I don't know if they were claiming that Dominion was uh, uh, a front for the government in Venezuela. Of course, the, in Venezuela, one of the first electronic voting machine uh, companies was Smartmatic. Uh, it's a fact of historical record that it was created by some friends of Hugo Chavez. It is a fact of historical record that there are allegations all over Central and South America, as well as the Philippines, of election corruption and rigging using Smartmatic computers. That's a fact. I mean, they've had trials about this in one country after the other. I never heard anybody talk about that, though. Instead, they just carelessly throw around Dominion and Venezuela, uh, you know, and um, without any details about this. First Amendment scholars say the case is a rarity in libel law. Defamation claims typically involve a single disputed statement, but Dominion's complaint is replete with example after example of false statements, many of them made after the facts were widely known. Such suits are often quickly dismissed because the First Amendment's broad free speech protections and because of the high-powered lawyers available for a major media company like Fox. If they do go forward, they are usually settled out of court to spare both sides the costly spectacle of a trial. Yeah, like we just saw, right? Uh, or, you know, here's another way that they could run this. Fox could just refuse to comply with discovery. And then they could lose by default. And, um, you know, then they could pronounce themselves a martyr for free speech, like somebody I know. Uh, Dominion's $1.6 billion case against Fox has been steadily progressing in Delaware State Court this summer. Uh, there have been no moves from either side toward a settlement, according to interviews of several people involved in the case. Listen to this. The two companies are deep into document discovery, combing through years of each other's emails and text messages and taking depositions. That's how this works. And if you don't comply with that, or if you just tell them, hey, I don't have any text messages. And I don't even have an email account. If you, if you, if Fox were going to do that kind, if they were going to do that type of thing, they would lose by default. Anchors and executives have been preparing for depositions and have been forced to hand over months of private emails and text messages to Dominion, which is hoping to prove that network employees knew that wild accusations of ballot rigging in the 2020 election were false. That's right. Just don't hand it over. And then when you lose by default, you can tell everybody they, they didn't give me a trial. You know, and you're a martyr for free speech. Libel law does not protect lies, but it does leave room for the media to cover newsworthy figures who tell lies. And Fox is arguing in part that that is what shields it from liability. I hope they rigorously defend this. I hope that they have a discussion of uh, not only the First Amendment. You see, that's what was missing in the InfoWars case. There was no defense to the First Amendment. There was noncompliance and loss by default. Um, so it needs to be defended. Uh, Dominion must show either that people inside Fox knew what hosts and guests were saying about the election technology company was false, or that they effectively ignored information proving the statements in question were wrong. In legal terms, displaying a reckless disregard for the truth. So Dominion lawyers have focused, uh, so, you know, Fox News is saying, well, why would we lie about something like that? The strategy that Dominion is using 
is to say that this was to appeal to the Fox base after they called early on, call the election for Biden. Fox was one of the first, if not the first, to do that. And people were furious with them. Their base was furious with them. So Dominion lawyers have focused some of their questioning and depositions on the decision-making hierarchy at Fox News, according to one person with direct knowledge of the case. And they're showing a particular interest in what happened on election night inside the network on the hours after it projected that Trump uh, would lose Arizona. That call, when uh, Trump called the election for Biden, that call short-circuited the president's plan to prematurely declare victory, enraging him and his loyalists and precipitating a temporary ratings crash for Fox. And this is the way Bannon described it four days before the election um, on uh, Halloween night. As he's talking to his Chinese backers, Bannon said this about the president's plan to prematurely declare victory. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. More of our people vote early that count. Theirs vote in mail. And so they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. We're going to have Antifa crazy, the media crazy, the courts are crazy, and Trump's going to be sitting there mocking, tweeting shit out, you lose. <laughs> I'm the winner. I'm the king. And he'll be all over. He'll be, he'll be going, where's Hunter? Is Hunter on a crack pot? Yeah, except the problem is, is that um, that blew up when Fox News said Trump lost. And so what the... Um, the Dominion lawyers are saying, they're saying that uh, Fox then reacted and doubled down on embellishing the truth on sloppy reporting and doing it intentionally to try to curry favor with the MAGA cult. Wouldn't be the first time. Testimony so far suggests that the younger Murdoch did not try to persuade anybody at Fox News to reverse the call as Trump and his campaign aides demanded that they do. They called him up directly. Uh, and said, uh, change that. He did ask detailed questions about the process that Fox's election analysts had used after the call became so contentious. Fox's legal team has cited the broad protections the First Amendment allows, arguing that statements about Dominion machines from its anchors like Dobbs and Bartiromo and from guests like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell were protected opinion and the kind of speech that any media organization would cover as indisputably newsworthy. I think that's true. You see, I I come down on the side of an expansive interpretation for the First Amendment. I think that's very important. I think that is the most important thing. And I hope they do defend this. And I hope that they win. Uh, They may have colored this. Some of the anchors may have colored this. But again, that is their prerogative. People understand and this is the defense that the uh, that InfoWars did not make. Uh, people understand that it's a commentary. I'm presenting, I'm presenting information, and I'm telling you my opinion. And um, you have, um, uh, it, it's a very different standard, um, <clears throat> even for an organization like that, even from Fox News. Because Fox News, they got teleprompters, they got writers who are putting stuff up that people are reading. 
and that type of thing. I don't know what the situation is with some of the smaller shows like Bartiroma, but I imagine that she's got a lot of writers who are doing research and putting stuff up for her that she's relying on. Whereas most of the time on a live radio show, especially when you're taking calls and you're taking guests and that type of thing, you're having people come on and just because they say something doesn't mean that you agree with it. And uh, you're not obliged to contradict every single thing that they say. Um, that is, uh, not, does, sometimes that happens in a very contentious interview, but it's not required to do that. Uh, the audience is there to vet people, especially when you've got just random callers calling up and saying things. So um, anyway, uh, behind the scenes, Fox lawyers have pursued documents that would support numerous unfounded claims about Dominion including its supposed connections to Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan dictator who died in 2013, and software features that are ostensibly designed to make vote manipulation easier. Well, again, that's an example of the New York Times' bias and the New York Times' false statements. Um, <clears throat> Dominion, uh, I don't know that Dominion has any connection with Smartmatic unless they purchased them, and I don't think that they did. But again, there is no question that there have been a lot of trials and uh, accusations, allegations, and investigations in multiple countries about what Smartmatic did. And uh, they are a good example of why we don't want to have any electronic voting. And uh, so it's a legitimate thing to, uh, to question electronic voting and to question the history of a company that was closely tied to Hugo Chavez. But Smartmatic is a different thing. Smartmatic is, is uh, they say here in this New York Times article that Dominion was founded in Canada in 2002 by a man who wanted to make it easier for blind people to vote. But uh, so there you go. See, they're, they're helping little old ladies across the uh, road. They're, they're good guys. Uh, Giuliani falsely claimed that Dominion was owned by a Venezuelan company with close ties to Chavez. They don't even name Smartmatic here in the New York Times article, but that's what they're talking about. Um, and Smartmatic is also suing Giuliani. It's not just Dominion. Uh, they're suing Giuliani and other people. Uh, it's important when you talk about these things to mention that um, there were allegations, multiple serious allegations, and that they had trials. And, um, you know, these things have been investigated. But everybody, the reason there's so many allegations about this is because everybody understands how easy it is to hack electronic stuff. Whether you're talking about a car, whether you're talking about anything, you know, computer or phone. Are we supposed to believe now that of all the electronic devices, only electronic voting machines can't be hacked? Come on. It's ridiculous. It's been demonstrated over and over again. It's been demonstrated at the Black Hat Conference. It's been demonstrated uh, at uh, DEF CON in Vegas. They just did it last week. Uh, they were working on that type of thing. Uh, they also ludicrously say in the New York Times, um, Words and phrases that Fox has asked Dominion to search for in internal communications going back and forth more than a decade include Chavez, Hugo, along with tampered, backdoor, stolen, and Trump. Well, let's focus on the term backdoor. And again, I don't know the connection between Dominion and Smartmatic. If there was a connection, would be that they owned Smartmatic at some point in time. I mean, these, these electronic uh, voting machine companies, like most of these corporations, these multinational corporations, are constantly changing ownership. So I don't know if there was ever an overlap there or not. Uh, that's really beside the point when we're talking about the bigger problem 
of electronic voting. It's bigger than any particular company, quite frankly. And when we talk about backdoor, you know, New York Times wants you to believe that there's no backdoors into software. All software has backdoors. The developers put in backdoors for themselves to get in in case something goes screwy, right? You have to be able to get in there and stop the runaway program or something. There's a backdoor for programmers. There's a backdoor for the owner of the company or the CEO to be able to get in in case something happens. And in every country, you may not realize this, but every country requires that backdoors be put in so that they can get in, so that law enforcement can get in. That's a reality. Now, you can dispute that, but the other two are indisputable. Uh, there are backdoors all over the place in software. Sometimes they leave backdoors just because of uh, sloppy coding for people to get into. But there are deliberate backdoors that are put into all of these things. Uh, so uh, Dobbs, who conducted one of the interviews cited in Dominion's complaint, responded encouragingly to Giuliani, saying that he believed he was witnessing, quote, the end game of a four-and-a-half-year-long effort to overthrow the President of the United States. Fox canceled Dobbs' Fox Business show last year, though it has never issued a retraction for any of the commentary about Dominion. Dominion has also filed separate lawsuits against Giuliani, Powell, and Lindell, uh, Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell. So, again... You know, you go back and you look, Smartmatic is also suing Giuliani and others. Uh, interestingly enough, as an update to where Smartmatic is right now, again, they've had uh, charges of fraud and corruption and collusion alleged in Venezuela and the Philippines and Mexico and Bolivia and many other places. And right now, Smartmatic's new profit centers are, wait for it, smart cities and digital ID. Oh, there you go. Right there at the epicenter of all the, and that may be one thing that Fox should be very worried about. These people are politically connected with the new global regimes. And it's not just um, lawsuits, uh, civil lawsuits about defamation and money and stuff. Giuliani is being told that he is a target of a criminal investigation in Georgia. Uh, Giuliani is scheduled to testify later this week. Uh, He has already been subpoenaed along with other members of Trump's inner circle, including Senator Lindsey Graham and lawyers John Eastman and Jenna Ellis for information about efforts to challenge the 2020 election in Georgia. Uh, See, and, and this is the problem. This is in Georgia. And as I said, the morning of January the 6th, before all this stuff blew up and hit the fan, I said, do you realize last, that was a Wednesday. I said, you realize last night, Tuesday, January the 5th, Uh, What I've been saying all along was going to happen, happened, and that was everybody's focused on Trump and everybody's so upset about Georgia and the the mail-in elections in Georgia. That cost Trump the election. I said, well, fine, but first do something to stop the mail-in elections on uh, the Senate runoff because they had two Senate runoffs. And because they did absolutely nothing to but let, you know, they're, they're, they're whining and complaining, and I think legitimately so about the mail-in elections, all the multiple ballots and everything in Georgia, and yet they didn't change a single thing. And you got a Republican governor and you're a Republican legislature and the National Republican Party. All anybody cared about and all anybody was fighting about was Donald Trump, and they completely ignored the fact 
that they were going to run the runoff election for Senate using the same stuff that they said was fraudulent. And they wouldn't do anything about it. So what is going on with this? Even when you factor in the fact that these people completely ignored what Donald Trump had been doing uh, for nine months, all of us, we were non-essential. We had to be locked down. Got to wait for the vaccine that he's rushing out there with genetic uh, modification, all the rest of this stuff. They ignore all of that. They want to focus on the election. It's like, okay, you want to focus on the election? Then you better focus on the election that's about to happen again using the same rules that you say are, are corrupt. And they didn't. It was only, only about Trump. He made it about him. All the people who were raising money with Stop the Steal made it about him. They made a fortune because they made it about him. And we wound up with a 50-50 Senate and we just had La La Harris cast a deciding vote to launch an army, a literal army of IRS agents against us to raise taxes on everybody. Thanks, Donald. Thanks, Republicans. Great job there, you guys. You focused exclusively on Trump. You focused exclusively on the money you could get. And you turned the, Democrat, turned the Senate over to the Democrats out of neglect. So, with all of this, uh, Giuliani is saying, well, I'm sick. I can't come down to testify. Um, uh, so, um, and Lindsey Graham is saying, well, I'm a senator and I can say whatever I want and you don't have any uh, say-so about that. Besides that, uh, the federal government is above the, the state government. Well, he's wrong about that. Uh, anyway, so uh, will they back up their election claims in this particular one with the criminal charges either? So they got civil and criminal situations, a criminal in Georgia. The subpoena against Giuliani cited his December 2020 appearance before the Georgia Senate panel in which he asserted that a video proved election fraud transpired in Georgia's State Farm Arena. Secretary of State... Brad Raffensperger's office subsequently, quote, debunked, quote unquote, those claims per the subpoena. Well, again, that is something that um, that should be debatable, right? That's his interpretation of the video. Did he debunk it or did he interpret it? I haven't. I don't have an opinion on that, frankly. I haven't looked at it uh, that much. I, I think, uh, you know, my, my concern, again, is about the vaccines, the lockdown, the Great Reset, and all the rest of this stuff. It's not, I don't really care about the uh, Trump stuff. Uh, there's so much corruption, as I said. The corruption begins by who gets on the ballot, who gets in the debates. And by the time you get to the end of this process, you've got so much corruption on top of corruption, it's not even worth talking about, in my opinion. And if they're going to have electronic voting machines, if they're going to have this mail-in stuff, what's the point of even talking about elections anymore? Um, so again, is, it, uh, is his opinion criminal? For him to say, well, I look at this video and this is the way I see it. This is my interpretation of it. Well, you're wrong because I'm Secretary of State. And so now I'm going to come after you for a crime, a crime. Now, I don't like Giuliani. You know that. I think that he's involved in the skullduggery about 9-11. I think people died because he was in such a rush to uh, cover up what happened on 9-11. In the same way that, you know, uh, tens of I mean, probably Globally, over 100,000 people have died because Trump was rushing out vaccines. So I'm not a fan of either one of these guys, but uh, they should be able to have an opinion without making it a crime. Uh, the investigation began last year after audio surfaced of a call in which then-President Trump stressed to Raffensperger uh, the need to find 11,780 votes. Well, we've all heard that one. Uh, Lindsey Graham, again, as he's saying, I, I don't have to come 
with a subpoena? Well, a judge has just said, no, yes, you do. Federal judge yesterday turned down Graham's bid to throw out a subpoena, compelling him to testify before the Atlanta area grand jury investigating Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. Attorneys for Graham had argued that his position as a U.S. senator provided him immunity from having to appear before the investigative panel and asked the judge to quash his subpoena. But U.S. District Judge wrote in an order yesterday that immunities related to his role as a senator do not protect him from having to testify. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, Lindsey Graham recently supported the New Jersey Democrat Senator Menendez when there were allegations <coughs> that he had been engaged in fraud, that, um, you know, he had uh, accepted money from a rich Florida doctor, you know, essentially bribes and that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, you get immunity from some things as a senator, but you don't get immunity from fraud or other issues like that. Uh, Graham had argued that a provision of the Constitution provides absolute protection against a senator being questioned about legislative acts. Well, I don't know if this is a legislative act or not. Uh, but the judge found that there were considerable areas of potential grand jury inquiry that fall outside of that scope. The judge also rejected Graham's argument that the principle of sovereign immunity protects a senator from being summoned by a state prosecutor. Uh, I don't agree with that either. Uh, so we'll see what he has to say. These people should be eager to set the record straight, don't you think? I don't know. Uh, you understand that um, once they get you on the stand, they can play all kinds of games and they can try to rope you into something that is uh, more serious than what you're testifying about. One of the things that's come out about this that I think is a clear smoking gun in favor of Trump and to underscore the fact that the FBI has become a politicized Gestapo, without doubt, uh, is the fact that they stole his passports. Now, um, you say passports, plural? He's got how many passports? <laughs> he actually had three. One of them was expired, but he had two active passports, an individual passport, a personal passport, and a diplomatic passport. Special color. You didn't know those things existed, right? Well, anyway, they took both of those. Those were not itemized independently on the uh, FBI's property receipt um, um, of things. He says that they're missing. Uh, if, in fact, they were taken, that would be a big problem because the government needs to have a separate order to see somebody's passports, even if it is temporarily done. So there would need to be a separate order for that. So the whole thing is, we understand that it's political. And uh, again, you know, the way I look at this is that uh, I would defend Trump against, uh, you know, publicly defend him against this raid for the same reason that I would uh, defend a mafia boss who, uh, is the, who the, uh, uh, the government has violated all of the required legal aspects, because the worst thing that we can face is a criminal politicized government, which appears to be what we have right now. That's exactly what we have. We'll be right back.
In a world of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show. If you like the Eagles, on a dark desert highway, the cars, and Huey Lewis in the news, they say the hard rock and roll is You'll love the Classic Hits channel at APS Radio. Download our app or listen now at APSradio.com. On Saturday, I began at the very end of the program, I began to get into an article that I thought was pretty significant for a lot of different reasons. Uh, It is significant culturally, politically, but especially individually. It's an article called The Twisted Self. Uh, See if you can pull that up on uh, WNG.org, because I want to refer to the picture. It's an interesting picture that's there. It's a guy who's looking into a mirror. Yeah, thank you. He's looking into a mirror, and um, in that mirror, you see an LGBT version of himself. You see a picture of him dressed up as a woman. You see a picture of him dressed up as a drag queen, and the subtitle of the article is Feelings as Truth, Sex as Destiny, The New Cultural Orthodoxy, and how we got here. And what the writer of this article does, his name is Truman, what he does is he talks about a a thread of very famous philosophers and really how they have uh, shaped our thought. One of the things that we used to do when we study uh, in homeschool, um, there was was one book in particular, and it was something like uh, Six Dead Men Who Rule the World or something like that. I forget the number. But it was very similar to this, where you trace philosophical and political thought to see how we got to where we are. And it's important because nobody thinks, um, we accept these cultural perspectives without understanding what is behind them. And that makes us very vulnerable. And, And so it helps us to have discernment about why things are kind of, you know, messed up, uh, (laughs) To, 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 put a, to put it mildly, and, and that's the way he begins. He said, you know, a lot of people right now, he said, uh, there, there's a lot of movies and books. We have a situation like Alice falling down uh, through the, um, into Wonderland, or you have Keanu Reeves and The Matrix. You know, people are looking at this strange world they inhabit, and they don't really understand uh, what's going on here. You know, you don't have a perspective for it. It seems like a bunch of uh, gibberish and, and nonsense. And so we need to understand uh, the, the culture that we live in, and we need to understand ourselves as well. Uh, know thyself has always been um, a, a wise admonishment from people. So we need to take, take a step back, look at the culture, look at ourselves, try to figure out what is going on. Um, and, and I think it's easier to do that, to take a step back and look at the culture in order to take a step back and look at ourselves. Because the heart is uh, deceitful, it's wicked above uh, what anybody can understand, and we're going to detach ourselves from ourselves to take a look at the overall uh, society. You know, it's, it's easier to see that in other people than it is to see it in us. It's one of the reasons why we're all drawn to being hypocrites about things. We can see other people's faults far more easily than we can see our own, and I think we can see culture's faults far more easily. But his purpose in this, he had a couple of different things that he wanted to uh, express. And he, he traces this through a lot of different philosophers in chronological order, Rousseau, Hegel, Darwin, Marx, Nietzsche, Freud. And again, some of them 
you know, uh, come forward as uh, saying they're working on science or they're working on psychology, not just simply philosophy. Uh, but uh, a lot of things have gotten us to this point. He said, uh, take the transgender issue, for example. Until recently, most people would have scoffed at a man who claimed that he was really a woman trapped in the wrong body. But they would have dismissed as nonsense, and, and they would have dismissed as nonsense, any suggestion that the term gender could have a meaning apart from bodily sex, your physical uh, sex. Now such statements and ideas are standard fare in our culture, from sitcoms to human resource departments to elementary schools. And so um, he, he talks about uh, one individual who was involved in uh, the early days of opposing abortion. And the, the guy's name is O'Donovan, and he was writing about it. He said, you know, in the early days, we didn't realize that what we thought was the most obviously weak argument would become their strongest argument. Uh, the argument he's talking about is the idea, well, this is my body. And it's obviously not, that's not true. That's not your body. You know, as we've pointed out many times, half the time that baby is a different sex. It always has a different DNA. Many times it's got a different blood type and on and on. It's got its own fingerprints. It's a unique individual. It's not your body. It's another body. But that became the prevailing argument, even though it has absolutely no rational basis. And he said, um, it's, it's not the importance of arguments per se. That's what O'Donovan said as he's looking back on it. But it's an issue of the broader moral imagination that made certain arguments, even very weak ones, rhetorically powerful. In other words, our subjective desire that this be real. He says, how have we become a society where we think of ourselves as autonomous, where personal, individual, psychological happiness has become a basic criteria for deciding what is and what is not moral, and even what is and what is not real? You see, everything is reality as well as morality, is subjected to our personal uh, subjectivity. And uh, that's really how we, you know, what we got here with uh, postmodernism. So he said a lot of people trace this back to uh, Rousseau. Uh, he believed that if a man is naturally free, and uh, of course the famous quote is, um, man is born free but everywhere is in chains. Uh, so he believed that man is naturally free, naturally good, naturally peaceful, that we don't have a fallen nature, and that corruption comes from external institutions, enslaving the good nature, the inherently good nature of man. And that was adopted by a lot of different movements. It, it provided the basis of romanticism of the French Revolution, and some people would say the American Revolution, but the French Revolution and the American Revolution were very different, very different and character. Uh, the American Revolution, even the revolutionaries like uh, uh, James Madison, who said, um, you know, to paraphrase it, he said, well, we need to have government uh, because men are not good. Men are not angels. We don't have a good nature. But he said, because we don't have a good nature, you know, we need the government, but the government is composed of men. And so therefore, we need to keep that under check. And so there was a, a difference there from the very beginning. But he traces the the thought of uh, these various things, but before we leave um, Rousseau, 
He said uh, Rousseau and his romantic heirs championed what modern sociologists call expressive individualism. The idea that each person has an inner core defined by feelings and intuitions that they need to find outward expression in order for the individual to be authentic. Never mind that the human heart is deceitful and wicked. Uh, for them, the, the move inward to feelings and sentiments was not a move to pure subjectivity, but it was a move to uh, a return to your pristine self and to built-in moral structure that society had obscured or corrupted. But once the notion that we all share common objective moral human nature is denied, then everything changes. Then the individual becomes sovereign, and human beings do descend into pure subjectivity. And ideas such as happiness, flourishing, good, and evil become matters of personal preference, and that's where we are today. You know, there's an interesting movie that came out in 1945, a film of the portrait of Dorian Gray. They called it The Picture of Dorian Gray. And um, uh, that, of course, was the novel that was written by Oscar Wilde. And I want you to hear this philosophy expressed in this movie very clearly. And it was being sold to Dorian Gray at the beginning of the story as a way for him to really find himself. No matter what, no matter who or what got in the way. There's no such thing as a good influence, Mr. Gray. All influence is immoral. Why? Because the aim of life is self-development, to realize one's nature perfectly. That's what we're here for. A man should live out his life fully and completely, give form to every feeling, expression to every thought, reality to every dream. Every impulse that we suppress broods in the mind and poisons us. There's only one way to get rid of a temptation, and that's to yield to it. Resist it, and the soul grows sick with longing for the things it has forbidden to itself. There's nothing that can cure the soul but the senses. Just as there is nothing that can cure the senses but the soul. Turn your head a little more to the left, Dorian. The gods have been good to you, Mr. Gray. Why do you say that? Because you have the most marvelous youth, and youth is the one thing worth having. I don't feel that, Lord Henry. No, you don't feel it now, but someday you'll feel it terribly. What the gods give, they quickly take away. Time is jealous of you, Mr. Gray. Don't squander the gold of your days. Live. Let nothing be lost upon you. Be afraid of nothing. There is such a little time that your youth will last, and you can never get it back. As we grow older, our memories are haunted by the exquisite temptations we hadn't the courage to yield to. The world is yours for a season. Yes, and uh, as you know the story, uh, he goes on. He's got a portrait that somehow magically uh, allows him. He makes some kind of a deal with the devil or whatever the mechanism is. But according to the narrative, um, he never ages, but the portrait ages. But not only does the portrait age, but as he becomes darker and darker in his self-indulgence, as he harms other people, uh, unintended at first because of his selfishness, but then directly later on. As all that happens, the portrait becomes more and more hideous. Uh, an interesting metaphor, and I think it's one of the reasons why that's such a popular story. But tracing through these, um, that, that is essentially you know, what Rousseau was proposing, what he said there. You know, well, you've got to find yourself, right? Today we can talk about the theory of self-actualization and other things that have been taught in school for many, many decades. Uh, this radical individualism 
detached from others, detached from God, detached from an objective moral standard. Do whatever you want. So Hegel is the next one that he looked at. You know, Hegel uh, started looking at uh, who we are as a society based on the effects of history. And of course, he's the one who came up with the famous Hegelian dialectic which has been used by a lot of people to manipulate public opinion. I'm going to give you two choices here, you know, thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis. And so I'm going to use these two polar things, like the Republican and Democrat, to push you in the direction that I want, which is Davos, right, that type of thing. Uh, Following Hegel, the history, uh, the, the idea that we're a creature of history, Marx applied that to economics and to politics. But then Marx added... Uh, a a distaste for objective definitions. For example, um, he took objective definitions of what it means to be human and to live within a common moral framework. Marx molded them to his own purpose to assert new realities. For example, the idea that marriage should be between one man and one woman for life, he didn't think that was natural at all. Uh, He said, rather, it was asserting as non-negotiable a social arrangement that happens to serve the economic interest of the ruling class, you see. So if you assert that this is whatever it is that you don't like, if you say that this asserts the interest of the ruling class, then that gives you the, uh, Marx gives you the freedom to throw it away and just to uh, take it away without question. You notice that all these philosophies have removed God from the equation. These days, arguments against the traditional family, calling it patriarchal, or racist, or homophobic, or whatever the diatribe of the month is, abound. Even to the extent that when people are looking at the anniversary of um, the, uh, actually the the birthday of George Jetson, the fictional cartoon character, the New York Post, a supposedly conservative paper, had to, felt compelled to dismiss the Jetsons as a patriarchal family. Uh, So atomize everything. Uh, Darwin brings in a, um, his own take uh, to reduce people to the level of other animals. Uh, Nishi uh, brings in the idea of human nature as only an invention, a sly construct that's used to inhibit the strong and to make them weak. And then you have uh, Freud's work, which says uh, sex is not something we do, it's something we are. And so you look at all these different things. It is a stream of, of uh, things that have moved us along. But again, it comes back to uh, our fundamental view of ourselves and how they are going to pressure us. And I think he had a very good analogy in here about how technology is now combining with these different philosophies to change things. He said technology is being used to weaken the bonds of community. And he uses as an example music. He said, 200 years ago, music was a matter of communal production. To enjoy music, one needed to be either part of a group making it or present at a gathering that witnessed its production. Well, I'm kind of old, and that was actually the case not 200 years ago. That's the case at the early part of the 20th century, really. Recordings were not that well-known. They weren't that good. Most people produced their own music. Uh, You know, Jefferson, when he was traveling, he would take a violin with him and he'd sit on the horse that was just walking and he'd sit there and play with a violin. He was taking a slow trip 
Uh, but in my family, um, you know, my grandfather played violin and others played the piano and, and the parlor. And so you make your own music. You didn't just buy it. But now uh, you have uh, very good music, very professional music, always at your fingertips. And you can listen to exactly what you want. And it's even become so atomized that everybody listens to their own songs on their own phone and headphones. And um, just as everybody sits there at dinner looking at their own phone, in many cases, we've all seen that. We've all done that. And so he says, um, we listen in private. We choose what we listen to. We listen when we want to what we want. Everything has become super individualized. Now, the downside, the weaponizing of this is what we saw during the lockdowns. You separate from everybody else and you do everything via Zoom. Even you do church and other things that have always been community based. You do that via Zoom. And then he points out another aspect of the technological revolution. He said, in times past, the idea of sex as recreation was impractical. But technology has made it practical uh, with contraception, with abortion, with the risk of disease or pregnancy. Uh, sex has become more and more recreational. Technology has broken the connection to consequences. And then you go into pornography that objectifies a sexual act, that repurposes it as entertainment and severs sexual pleasure from any broader interpersonal relationship. And this is about to be put on steroids with uh, virtual reality and other things like that. More and more boxing each and every one of us into a little atomized individual. Because united we stand and divided we fall. They understand that. This is a technique of control. It's a technique of spiritual control. And it is a technique of political control. These three strands of our culture's technological imagination have come together in a potent form in transgenderism. It assumes that nature is really just raw material, and it sees technology as a key component in determining not only what is right and wrong, but even what is possible and what is real. It's only because of technological developments that we can even imagine the possibility of changing from a man to a woman, but it is an imagination. Uh, but uh, we, we try to do that, and, and more of that is coming. In the metaverse and virtual reality, you can be anything that you want. With transhumanism, people will be doing more and more surgical modification to uh, make themselves feel like they are something other than what they really are. And to really to try to escape what they are inside. He said, you don't need to have to read, you don't have to read Nietzsche to think that nature has no intrinsic authority, that human nature has therefore no intrinsic moral shape, that reality is whatever you might care to make it and that happiness is to be found by satisfying your inner desires. You don't need to have heard of Freud to believe that sexual desire defines who we are. You only need a steady diet of social media, or even to follow the basic plot lines of myriad mainstream movies or TV shows. They all tell you, sex is destiny. Sexual fulfillment is the meaning to your life. That is a message, and is not even subtle. So, you know, when we look at this and, and everybody is appalled at the pivot towards children, especially that's happened this year, that happened during Pride Month, I said, yes, that is a logical progression uh, from this obsession with sex to remove every taboo of sex 
and there's more that will fall as well. But I think ultimately, this is moving us towards a complete detachment from reality and transgenderism and, and uh, transhumanism, uh, from transgenderism to transhumanism and to virtual reality. I think that is the ultimate uh, purpose of all of this. So he, he says, uh, in an expressive world where authenticity is found in performance, things once considered to be virtues, stuff like modesty, reserve, respect for authority, start to look like sins of repression. Oh, you've heard the left talk about that all. Oh, you're so repressed. Uh, you're so fearful, right? You're phobic about this. You're phobic about that. Uh, second, given the central role of sex to modern identity, sexual exhibitionism and the destruction of traditional sexual mores becomes a central part of the modern program of cultural transformation. For the progressive, this must reach ever earlier into childhood. Children will be taught to express themselves sexually because that, according to the modern cultural assumptions, is actually who they are. Anyone puzzled by the number of families with young children happily cheering on the ostentatious, explicit sexual flamboyance on display at pride rallies need only reflect on the narrative of the modern self to understand what they're seeing. The modern world does not think it is sexualizing children. It thinks kids are born sexualized. To be truly themselves, they merely need to be helped to realize that. And so then finally, he says, uh, cultural principles that used to enjoy support across the mainstream political spectrum, such as freedom of speech, freedom of religion, will become increasingly implausible and vulnerable to attack. Once the self becomes psychologized and happiness is defined with an inner sense of contentment, words become weapons. Their use must be regulated as tightly as physical violence. So hence the advent of restrictive speech codes and increasing pressure on the free exercise of religion in public space. To refuse to use a trans person's preferred pronouns is to refuse to acknowledge them for who they think they are. And such refusals will be regarded as an assault on their person because it denies the sovereignty of their inner feelings and the legitimacy of their chosen identity. This will itself lead to further difficulties because not all identities are compatible. The vocal Christian, for example, and the outspoken drag queen, oh, they're going to conflict. They've got different opinions about themselves and about the world. But only one is going to be allowed. Somebody will have to decide who to recognize and who to silence. So that is what's going on with the strangest that we're seeing now. We have radical individual freedom is fostering remarkably intolerant and sometimes totalitarian policies in the workplace and even society at large. Now, isn't that interesting? If you go too far with radical individualism, you wind up with tyranny. And that really is what we're seeing right now. Because as Washington and others of the American Revolution understood, the only way that we could have a society that was free is if people could exercise self-control. If we had a moral people who were exercising self-control. Without that, freedom and liberty and the Constitution and the society that used to value that will be consumed upon itself. In the same way, 
that if you have a society that is braced on uh, free economic uh, exercise, if that is not constrained, if that greed is not constrained with some form of morality, then what is going to happen is it's going to devolve into just a, a criminal uh, enterprise where everybody's trying to grab whatever they can from everybody else and come out as the top dog. And that's where we are morally as well. Once we reject the uh, moral foundations, uh, we are cut adrift. For example, family dinner is a thing of the past. According to studies, the average person spends only three meals a week with loved ones. We live alone. We listen to music alone. We eat alone. Even if family is nearby, we're too busy to stop for a moment to engage. Three in five Americans believe every dinner should be a family member, yet just as many wish they could eat more often with their family. In their youth, the average American, or the average person recalled eating four dinners per week with family and another two dinners with others outside their family circle. It's an important way to connect over a meal, but that is being discarded. The family itself is being discarded. The majority of babies are now born out of wedlock for the first time in history in England and Wales. That means that 51% of live births were born to unmarried women the first time a majority of babies were born out of wedlock since they began records in 1845. Up until 1978, the percentage of children born out of wedlock was less than 10%. However, this increased to 34% by 1988, in just 10 years, it went from 10% to 34%. And it's been over 40% since the turn of the millennium. Now it is over 50%. The majority of babies being born to women are being born to women over the age of 30. The number of children being born to women under the age of 30 has fallen to half of the rate that was seen 50 years ago. Now, Breitbart looks at this and says, well, I think... Uh, a key part of what has been driving this is tax policy in the UK. They do not have a, a recognition of uh, family income. So if you have um, an individual who is, they don't have a married filing jointly uh, thing. So if you have an individual who is earning the money instead of families as a whole, uh, the families, if you have a family that's got an income of 50000 uh, they will take home less money than two salaries of 25000 And uh, so it incentivizes women to work. We call that a marriage penalty, and there's been aspects of that in our tax code as well. Uh, Sergey, thank you for the tip. He says, uh, my friend sent me last night something that the word maga in Latin means magic. In Italian... It means sorceress or witch, which obviously we know, biblically speaking, sorcery is pharmakia, which is drugs or poison, and where the word pharmacist comes from. I'm sure that's a stretch to look into it that deep, but it is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think, um, you know, uh, it's, it's become a cult. It was an acronym, but um, maybe, you uh, know, that's, uh, uh, maybe somebody is smiling about that, uh, <laughs> the fact that that came, came together. Um, while we are talking about that, well, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. I got one more thing to say about the family, and that is the uh, death of Anne Hesch, who died at 53. Uh, there was an article that came out of the New York Post about how her life fell apart after her affair with Ellen DeGenerate. And, um, and I thought it was interesting. I said, oh, well, you know, that's, that's right. So I kind of looked at her history here. Her mother, Nancy, 
actually works with focus on the family. And so she had a very troubled uh, childhood. She claims that she was sexually molested by her father. Uh, she grew up in a very conservative uh, religious environment. Uh, the family wasn't Amish, but they were also in an Amish community. So they were a, a conservative uh, Christian Protestant church and a conservative community of Amish people. And in that environment, uh, her father kept it secret uh, that evidently if he was molesting her, he was not uh, just homosexual, he was bisexual, but he got AIDS early on, and he died from it. Now, uh, he had, um, shortly after that, her brother died in a car accident. She always maintained that it was suicide, but her mother disagreed, um, believed that it was an accident, not suicide. Uh, she believed that it was because of uh, what was going on with the father. The mother, working for Focus on the Family, uh, focused on a ministry about helping people who wanted to uh, change, to convert from being homosexual, just like she would help people who were uh, doing drugs. She would help people with that. And so the two of them were on very opposite sides. But I didn't realize some other issues about her life. Um, she had dated uh, Steve Martin for three years. And um, she had dated a lot of movie stars. Uh, but she had a longer-term relationship with uh, Steve Martin. She had left him to, uh, to go live with uh, Ellen. And uh, Steve Martin wrote a uh, film, Bowfinger. Uh, he was a writer for it. It actually starred um, Eddie Murphy. But uh, the producer, who was a third guy, all three of them had been involved with Anne Hesch. And in the movie... Uh, everybody realized that Steve Martin was talking about her. He portrayed the character in Bowfinger as this vicious, ruthless um, social climber who would do anything to succeed, who would sleep with anybody to succeed, and even finishes up by having her uh, have uh, an affair with the most powerful lesbian in, hospital, in, in, in Hollywood, as it said in the movie. Uh, so it was clearly a, a picture of her life. And her life, if, if you look at it, was one of absolute turmoil. Uh, she was even surprised when she said, you know, how in the world does this happen in Hollywood that it hurts my career to have a homosexual relationship with the biggest uh, lesbian in Hollywood, essentially? And it happened because society was so different at that point in time. You know, that was during the Clinton administration. Even Bill Clinton <laughs> Uh, supported and signed the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, because not because he supports marriage, <laughs> uh, but because uh, uh, that was what the vast majority of, of uh, Americans wanted. Only 27% approved at the time of same-sex marriage. And so they did the Defense of Marriage Act. It was considered to be box office poisoned by studio executives for her to be in an open homosexual relationship. She had um, uh, taken that position earlier than anybody else. And so they didn't want to put her in any starring films. And then it hurt her even worse because of the way she broke up uh, with uh, Ellen DeGeneres. And so um, she said, how does it turn out that in Hollywood, of all things, I get blackballed because I'm in a homosexual relationship? But she then got involved in heterosexual relationships and had a couple of husbands and some children. And I think that probably 
got Hollywood even more upset with her. But it, it's just a, a, um, just a, an absolute train wreck of a life. You know, we frequently look at people who are rich, who are famous, and we think they've, and we aspire to be like them many times. And yet they, it's been my experience that they're the most messed up people in the world. I mean, it's just amazing uh, how those types of things, how that kind of unrestrained freedom that comes with that kind of money and celebrity uh, messes with people's lives. And then you throw the drugs in on top of that. And um, which is what Sergey was mentioning, uh, essentially, you know, some of the, uh, the drug issues. Uh, and now this is happening uh, over and over again. Um, in, in, in very public ways. I, I don't think I could feel any better why wealthy New Yorkers and celebrities like Aaron Rodgers are tripping out on psychedelics. And of course, we've had Joe Rogan selling uh, mushrooms. And, you know, this is the way to, uh, to realize your full self, right? And again, what, what is life about? You know, well, if they're going to take the approach of Dorian Gray, well, let's do some psychedelics by all means. Maybe we'll find out something about ourselves. They have no foundation and they have nothing to help them. And many of these people are doing this because they're suffering from severe depression. And I think they don't realize that they're just putting a Band-Aid on this. They're not helping their depression. They're just escaping, trying to escape the reality in the same way that somebody uh, is trying to escape the reality of their gender. This is another uh, potentially uh, dangerous escapism. They say high-end Costa Rican retreat called Rhythmia. Uh, people are going there from uh, uh, the U.S. and from Canada for a week of organic food and massage, plus a liberation dance, they call it. I don't know what that is. And four nights taking hallucinogenic drugs under medical supervision. One person said, well, that was the best night of my life. I met the soul I lost as a child. And we had a conversation. And I'm really not like that. There were shaman dogs there. And one came over and stuck out this very long tongue and said, You're okay, you know? It was wonderful. It was a beautiful experience. I was floating. And I thought, if I need to die, it should be right now because I don't think I could feel any better. I think that that's going to be an aspect of virtual reality as well. But you notice that everything that people are focused on is trying to escape reality, isn't it? You know, it is uh, ultimate. This is the other uh, definition, the sorcery definition, the pharmacia definition. Drugs have always been a part of religious cults. And uh, people would use that to get in touch with uh, things that they weren't sure were real. But most of the people who do this type of thing really do believe that it is real. Uh, Timothy Leary acolytes, and more recently, people from Burning Man and Coachella attendees. Psychedelics are now mainstream and upscale. Aaron Rodgers recently credited magic mushrooms with his mental clarity and the mental clarity that he needed to score a $200 million contract extension. The wealthy and the powerful are totally tripping. Uh, one doctor who is giving this to other people in the Hamptons said traditional psychotropics like Prozac and Zoloft, weren't healing patients. Oh, yeah, that's right. They weren't. They were turning many of them into murder-suicide uh, people because they realized it wasn't helping them, 
and they tried to get off of it and got off of it too quickly, and um, it took control of them, and they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, so she said, they can be a Band-Aid, but psychedelics have offered the new frontier of mental health. A lot of people are doing them. Recreationally, it's illegal, uh, but this is all legal. Well, there you go. Another uh, Band-Aid that people are looking at, giant magnets. Uh, they found that they could physiologically affect people uh, by certain placements of magnets uh, by parts of their brain that were responsible for motor uh, issues. Some of the people are turning to magnets to try to get relief from uh, depression. Uh, again, uh, they uh, are looking for another Band-Aid rather than uh, addressing what is actually causing their illnesses or their their mental depression, and uh, they get side effects of mild headaches. It's very common. Uh, sometimes they get seizures. But, you know, when I look at this, and I, what I think is interesting about this is that uh, the next step is electroceuticals. You know, we have pharmaceuticals, but all of these pharmaceutical guys like Monsef Slawi, they've been having conferences for many years about electroceuticals. And Monsef Slawi, who for years had been the chief vaccine guy uh, at his company. Uh, let's see, was he with Merck or he was GlaxoSmithKline? I think he was with GlaxoSmithKline, GSK. And, uh, but whichever company he was, he was the head vaccine honcho. And after uh, he was Trump's man to lead Operation Warp Speed, when he got out and, and when he cashed out and made all that money on uh, Moderna, he went, to, went back to work for the pharmaceutical company. Again, I think it was GlaxoSmithKline. And he went back to work for the electroceuticals division. And he had been with Fauci on many uh, different um, uh, programs selling pharmaceuticals, and, uh, or rather electroceuticals. He got kicked out in a couple of months over allegations of sexual misconduct. Because again, you know, well, it defined him right out of his job. But it's still electroceuticals. And I think when you look at I think when you look at Neuralink and to uh, something that is very pervasive, uh, uh, the it's um, not just the motor reflexes that reflexes that are there. The brain that controls movement could actually make someone's hand twitch. Uh, and that was using magnets, giant magnets, as a treatment for depression. have meaning in your life. If you are detached from reality and uh, you don't understand uh, the limited time of your life, that you will someday stand before God, that there's an objective morality that you'll be held accountable to, well, you can just put Band-Aids over all that stuff. You can entertain yourself for the rest of your life. You can take drugs. You can use magnets. You can use anything that you want, psychedelics, whatever to try to escape the reality. But it doesn't change reality, does it? We're going to come back and uh, real quickly before we are out of time, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how uh, the medical profession uh, may be going through, after I think a death of its credibility, it may be going through a rebirth. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
world of deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show. Hear news now at APSRadioNews.com or get the APS Radio app and never miss another story. All right, a tip from uh, Sergey. He's commenting on what I was saying about mushrooms and uh, Joe Rogan. He says, um, thank you for the tip, Sergey. He says, I'm so disgusted that Alex is such a sucker for Joe Rogan. He was such a fraud in my view. I remember a show Alex did with Tim Pool where he stated that in the book of Revelation, John took mushrooms to see the vision that he had experienced. Who was it that said that? Was that Alex or Tim Pool said that? Uh, then he was telling everybody psychedelics are great to take and how he's taken them. I guess you're saying that was Alex who said that. Well, I'd never heard that, but that wouldn't surprise me based on what I've seen. Um, Alex is very much into, he's got some uh, internet uh, psycho guru who is um, who is pushing that, uh, it was kind of a thing that was on Oprah, you know, the self and, uh, secret rather, the secret, something like that, you know, and, and you, you pay like two or $300 to uh, get that. And he's got a website doing it. He's selling all kinds of really crazy stuff, really crazy stuff. I would suggest that um, you don't turn to Alex for spiritual guidance <laughs> or Roger. Uh, I wish them well. I pray for them, but don't listen to them, okay? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the medical profession. Uh, hopefully, it's going to have a rebirth because it's dead. It's absolutely dead. Uh, you've got... Uh, a new paradigm, however, that is emerging, private member medical associations. Uh, I talked about one, interviewed an individual who was uh, part of that, former spec ops guy. And um, he was also uh, going to organize protests against what the FBI was doing, but then they thought about it and thought better of it. And to his credibility, they said, nope, not in D.C. We don't want to do anything in D.C. It's going to turn into a trap. But he has a, he has a good model for that, uh, which is, uh, a, uh, a network of telemedicine where they can do triage and they can help you and they're more focused on health rather than just on dispensing drugs and things like that. And then, in, you know, uh, a referral system, uh, but uh, somebody who actually gets to know you, you know, like a, a GP, and it's a GP that you have access to all the time, everywhere, very quickly. Uh, but this is a nurse practitioner who told her story uh, with uh, North Carolina Physicians for Freedom. It was um, a, a story that was carried by the Epic Times. And uh, as I said, nurses who witnessed brutal hospital COVID treatment protocols killing patients paint a bleak picture of what is taking place in state and federally funded healthcare systems. Stacy Kay, a nurse practitioner with North Carolina Physicians for Freedom, said they're horrific and they're all in lockstep. Yeah, you know, if they're in lockstep, does that mean it's a conspiracy? Yes, that's exactly what it is. They're breathing together. They're all following the same plan. She said they will not consider protocols outside what is given to them by the CDC or the NIH, and nobody is asking why. She said this whole thing is fueled by cognitive dissonance. Uh, she said her hospital staff is ignoring blatantly problematic treatments that harmed people. She said, I've seen people die with their family watching via iPad on FaceTime. It was brutal. She said, I hated my job. I hated going to work. I was stressed in a way I've never been before in my entire life. She was looking for other options when she found an inpatient protocol that was designed by Dr. Paul Merrick. And um, he said, I've got a 94% success rate with this. So she pitched it 
to the head of pulmonary critical care at the department she was in, and she was dismissed. And the physician boasted that the hospital had a 66% survival rate. Didn't even want to try it. I told him, she said, I, I feel like we can do better, but I was quickly shut down. I became very angry because I'm watching people die, and I knew we could have been doing better. She said it was as if formerly smart people had become brainwashed and then just dumb. Well, I'm telling you, that's not what happened. It was the love of money, the love of uh, being admired and so forth, but especially the love of money. That is the root of all evil. We have seen that is true, uh, and we have seen that demonstrated over and over again. So in her telemedicine business, she says she's seeing multiple cases of people who are suffering from COVID vaccine injuries as well. She said, as long as there is corporate control over medicine, and let's just spread this out and just say, as long as there is financial priority in medicine, as long as the money is the number one thing, whether it's Medicare or private insurance companies, you're always going to have providers who are forced, who are pressured, who are coerced to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And then why did they do it? Well, because of money, because of the love of money. Physicians don't have the flexibility to do treatments that they used to have. Getting away from this corporate structure, she said, is going to be a game changer. And so they, in this uh, story from Epic Times, they then interview a nurse in Washington State. She said, uh, having taken salmon, eggs, and honey for payment, a nurse in Washington State who wished to remain anonymous shares Kay's more traditional vision for the future of healthcare. You see, that's the key. When I saw that, it reminded me one of my favorite characters in fiction, Atticus Finch, Kill a Mockingbird. That's the way he was paid by many of the people who were poor. If your focus is not on the love of money, it makes all the difference in the world. And we may have some of the best people now are leaving that corrupt system. It's gotten so corrupt, they've left it. And hopefully uh, we will be blessed with a different system that is based on actually helping people's health. Thank you for joining us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Pass to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com.